0: Joe
1: Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan
2: Experience.
1: Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. All right.
0: Hello, Alex. Hello. Good to see you again, man.
3: Yeah, good to see you. What's
0: happening? How you doing?
3: I'm I'm just living. I'm doing the same stuff as always.
0: Crawling (laughs) giant shit that... Freaks people out.
3: Yep, yep. That's that's <laughs> what I'm trying to do. What
0: is the the latest? What have you been up to? I know you're doing a podcast now. right? Yeah, I know,
3: I know. I know. Do you feel a certain uh, satisfaction? A I loading. do. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but you went off for like quite a long time, and like you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast, and sure enough, it's so, like yeah, I did a podcast.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. you have an interesting perspective, and you have a fascinating life. You know,
3: Yeah, they're actually. Um, we don't really get into it that much. I don't. I don't actually talk about myself very much. It's um, it was sort of leading up to the Olympics. Uh, I don't, you know Climbing's in the Olympics this year? No, I did not. Yeah, so Climbing's in the Olympics for the first time this summer, and so the podcast was supposed to be sort of a primer leading up to the Olympics, more as like a, like here is the state of the sport leading up to this singular moment in climbing, but, um, but then the Olympics got canceled last summer, well pushed, and mm-hmm. so then we decided to sort of go a little deeper in backstory stuff, and so that's the first season that's basically premiered right now. But.
0: So you, did you record them all in advance?
3: Uh, no, it's it's ongoing. We've done uh, we've done ten of them, and uh, and now we're gonna do the ones leading up to the Olympics, like over the next you know four months or whatever.
0: So we've got kind of a structure planned out, though. Yeah,
3: yeah. The idea is that we wanted to. Well, I mean, you know, as you can imagine, climbing is a very broad sport. You know, starting from sort of classical alpinism in, in the Alps and and like mountain climbing, now to Olympic climbing, where the people who win the Olympics this summer. Most of them are super young, and they're they're basically like gym kids, sort of like gymnasts who just train indoors nonstop. And so, the podcast is sort of an exploration of this spectrum of full adventure to full athleticism, and like where climbing has moved in between. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's um. I don't know, because, you know, when I grew up as a, like, I, I was one of the first climbers in America to sort of grow up climbing in a climbing gym, and so that's part of the reason I wound up as a professional climber, is I sort of had access to better training facilities than, like, the generation before me, and now we're looking at the next generation who's going to the Olympics, and it's, like, even more of that athletic background, and it's, like, it, you know, it changes the sport, and so a big part of the the podcast that we started was basically to, to see how it changes the sport, and, and to try to you know, save some of the best stories of climbing. You know what I mean? Like to preserve some of that adventure. Oh, that's great. What,
0: is the, what are the events in the Olympics? Like how, how is it
3: measured? It's a, it's a combined format. So in the World Cup circuit for climbing, like there are already established climbing competitions in the world. And normally they do three different uh, styles, you know, speed climbing, difficulty, and bouldering. So difficulty and bouldering are basically just like how high you can climb up a wall before you fall off uh, difficulties with a rope and bouldering is without a rope, you know, but smaller walls. And then speed climbing is naturally just how fast you can climb, climb a set course.
0: So uh, the first one is how high you can climb before you fall off. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah basically. Really? So you're climbing with a rope and you're okay. climbing say a 15 meter, well, say up to like a 50 foot wall mm-hmm. and the, they set a very, very difficult course. And then everybody basically falls as they get higher.
0: Really? Cause yeah. it just gets to a point where no one you can complete it? You just get
3: pumped out of your gourd. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, if, if setters have done the good job, then it means that the world champion or whoever wins will wind up making it to the top and everybody else will fall progressively lower. And
0: the world champion, if he does make it to the top, clearly someone else is going to come along that's maybe a little bit better than him in the future. Yeah. And so then they're the, going to make it more difficult.
3: Exactly. They set, different, they set different routes for every competition.
0: Okay. And who, how does a route get established? Does it get established by someone like yourself? Who uh, understands the difficulty levels? Yeah. How
3: does it? Yeah, so they're professional root setters that do that. And so they're sort of internationally certified for competitions. And there's a whole whole art to the root setting. And that's a big part of what we explore in this podcast leading up to the Olympics is like, you know, who are the international organizing committees that choose these people? And like who makes the root? And like are the roots fair? You know, it's things like that. I mean, the roots are – they try to be fair. But it's interesting because – in a given competition the root setters are aware of who the competitors are going to be so like if one of the women is much taller than the rest they kind of have to bear that in mind a little bit to keep the roots like kind of fair
0: oh they you do know,
3: i mean kind of or at least try you know or if they know that most of the you can kind of always guess who's going to make it into finals let's say say like the top six climbers top eight climbers in the world you have like a rough sense of who's going to make finals and then i think the setters try to differentiate the finalists in some way, you know, like basically find things that, that, uh, separate their strengths and weaknesses.
0: Is it possible that if everyone made it to the top that they would just go on based on how much time it takes you to get to the top? Like what would they do then?
3: Yeah. Um, sometimes they do like a super final. I'm actually not sure what the format is for the Olympics, but they normally do some kind of super final thing where they make a harder route or they change it in some way. And then eventually they, they count back on time or they also count back to semis and qualifiers um like whoever got higher on the previous rounds of the competition you know they look back at your cumulative points right. basically
0: um but. There's no drug testing in regular. No, no, there climbing. is. There is. Oh, not in, in the rate. Olympics. Not, I'm, yeah, in I'm the sure, Olympics, of course. Right? Yeah,
3: and in the World Cup circuit, there is. Because actually, is. there are a, a few very uh, sort of famous stories of of some of the best climbers in the world having World Cups taken away for testing positive for weed and stuff. Oh, like, really? But, yeah, really. Oh, no. Well, but uh, but just but climbers who like don't even care. You know, they just enter the competition like. I, I don't know everybody like, knows they still won this out here? Oh, of course <laughs> yeah. yeah totally no yeah. like a classic chris sharma story he was like the most famous and and best climber in the world for a whole generation basically and uh he sort of won a world cup by by fluke you know he just entered and he won he's like yeah because he's the best climber in the world but then uh but then i think they took it away for weed and he's <laughs> like well yeah of course you know <laughs> It's so dumb. Yeah, but I mean, not like he cares because he's like, you know, he's the best in the world. It's like they can take still the won. It's, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, once you like, win, you win. You yeah, know, I mean that's. This is, I mean, it's not like he's taking steroids.
3: Well, and uh, a couple Spanish competitors had, had like a medal taken away for testing uh, positive for cocaine. I think really. And, and, I mean, he he had some kind of statement about the. Uh, using it to relieve the stress of the heavy training volume, all that kind of stuff. You know, basically, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, it's just partying on the side. And you're like, yeah, obviously, it's not performance-enhancing. <laughs> you know, it's, like, that's recreational, like, on the side of his training.
0: I wonder what would be performance-enhancing, other than, like, anabolic steroids. Like, what would be performance-enhancing for climbing? Would it be something that makes you hyper-focused, like a Ritalin or something like that? Or
3: I, I honestly am not sure. Um, I mean, if there were drugs that vastly improved your recovery. That mm. probably would be performance enhancing because it would allow you to train at a higher volume. Right. But but even anabolic steroids, I'm not sure if they actually help for climbing because it's so much about strength to weight ratio. Right. And then and I've heard that, um, and I don't know if this is true, but um, that some steroid use affects tendons and ligaments. Like you wind up with like damage to connective tissue. What
0: it does generally, uh, at least I'm not really an expert, but what it's been explained to me is the muscle tissue gets too strong. For the tendons and the ligaments and so Mm. the idea is that you um, you're growing muscle at a ridiculous rate because you're (laughs) taking steroids but generally it's guys who are like power lifters and bodybuilders I don't think that would apply to climbers because you're not putting on massive amounts of muscle so the idea is that you're pushing heavier and heavier weights mm-hmm. because your muscles is growing at this extraordinary rate, but that your tendons totally
3: don't though, can't keep So up. Th- that same principle though is actually a very common problem for beginner climbers because like if you're an 18 year old man who gets into climbing in the gym, it's really easy to get stronger biceps, but the connective tissue, like the tendons in your in your forearms, like basically the tendons that control your fingers that go down your forearm attaching your elbow, mm-hmm. takes a very long time for, for those tendons to get stronger. So it's ah. really easy for your muscle to get stronger and then basically pull your tendons off. So oh, okay. it's um it's actually pretty common for for sort of beginner climbers to sort of outpace their development, you know, and then injure themselves in different ways.
0: How do you hold someone back? Like I know you're not like really training climbers, but if you were, how would you hold uh, a young person back? Would you put them on? Is there like an a established training protocol for beginners?
3: There, um. Yeah, it d- depends. But, yeah, there are some now. I mean, if you were really serious about, like, I'm young, but I want to be elite, like, you would probably do sort of a regimented finger uh, training cycle as you go. Like you finger know? boards? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You'd that... be uh, progressively loading your fingers in sort of a systematic way and trying to make sure that you don't exceed, uh, you know, a certain rate.
0: Is Are there programs like that where yeah. a young climber can find online?
3: Yeah, there are. There, There's several. I mean, th- that's an interesting thing about climbing going to the Olympics is, like, the sport is – is, is changing you know there's more knowledge there's more coaching available there's more information about it there are a lot of different training protocols there are different y- yeah I mean there's way more information out than there was say when I started 25 years ago
0: yeah people watch videos My my yeah, friend totally. Whitney Cummings is dating a um, a guy who's into climbing and he's yes. a climber and he was she had it on her Instagram today or she was making fun of him and she that he's watching videos of girls climbing she's like should I be concerned about this like what's going on here like in these, you know, climbing sort of competitions. Mm. it's So people are watching technique. They're watching, like, what's, what did this person do wrong and trying to gather information and learn from it, I guess.
3: Yeah, well, and I think and more and more, they're just watching the competitions just to see who wins. You know, right. in the same way that people watch other sports, they're just like, oh, who's the best climber in the world? I mean, that's going to be the the appeal of the Olympics. It's, it's going to show... You know, the yeah. best climber in the world.
0: And I i guess also you're really into climbing. You just want to watch people do it too, right? Yeah, you want it's to like, see greatness. Yeah, totally. sure, it's Like sure.
3: Yes, see mastery. Like anything
0: else, like people like, like watching people play chess. Like well, people, that might be a little more boring because <laughs> that's pretty slow. But the people who love chess like watching people play chess.
3: Maybe, but I think that there's a dynamicism, like a movement to it. It'd be like mm-hmm. watching ballet or something where you're like, oh, this is an incredible movement. Right. You know, it's like...
0: Well, I like watching... Play, I, I like watching people play pool, and people mm. have often said, like, why are you doing that? Like, when you?" But to me, it's like mm. I like watching it. It's like I play pool, so when I watch pool, I kind of – like I think the same thing would hold with climbing. It's totally. Like you like climbing, so you're watching people climb, and someone who's really good specifically, too, would probably be inspiring, right?
3: Yeah, though I think that, that climbing might have a more elemental appeal than something like pool, let's say. Right. Because anybody can appreciate the athleticism and the movement and the grace and, and sort of the – the way in which people climb that's but with a good pool point. if you don't know the rules you'd be like why is like i like why didn't you just put the ball in the hole it's so much easier <laughs> you know i mean it's like why is he using that pointy stick that's stupid right 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 you know I mean? and like, with
0: chess like if you don't understand yeah if you don't know the rules of chess yeah.
3: you're just like knock them all off the board and walk away <laughs> you know you're like dude
0: yeah that's true climbing is very universal like it's 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 like it's got a primal appeal
3: totally yeah i mean you know i mean we were once arboreal you know it's mm-hmm. like that is exactly that's where we came from
0: yeah i have a friend of mine um had a squirrel expert on his podcast, my friend Steve Ranella. and this uh, squirrel expert was talking about these squirrels climbing and they um, apparently squirrels only, the females only come into estrus for like six hours a year. It's like a very, maybe maybe multiple times a year, maybe once or twice a year, but the period, the window okay. is very small where you can breed with them. So there's the competition is very fierce, and a lot of times males will throw other males out of trees. So squirrels can fall like 70, 80 feet and just bounce off the ground with no damage.
3: Hmm. Yeah. So, so funny you mentioned that. So, I actually once <laughs> walked up to a cliff, like a huge overhanging wall, like this giant, like imagine like an overhanging, like leaning, it's, it's almost like a amphitheater, like a huge thing. Mm-hmm. It's a local sporkwagon sack, and I walked up, we were the only people at the wall, and we looked up and there was a squirrel attempting to surmount the cliff, which, you know, you see squirrels run up and down trees and, and you know, vertical cliffs sometimes, but not like massively overhanging ones, and these are like big... Uh, uh basalt blocks like big overhang things basically there's no way the squirrel is going to make it it had like more than 100 <laughs> feet to go and we just stood there transfixed being like that squirrel's going to die for sure like there's no chance it's going to make it up this cliff and it was like skittering you know it's like holding onto these blocks and like its feet are all it's like trying its best it made it about 20 feet further and then it fell And we were like, oh, the squirrel fell off the cliff. And then, uh, sure enough, it stuck this, like, there's one tree growing at the base of the cliff. And with, like, this one little limb sticking out, and the squirrel fell probably 25, 30 feet and then hit, like, one little twig and basically landed on it and ran into the tree. And it was, like, total, I mean, basically, like, kind of hit it, you know, as the tree bends. The squirrel just, like, skitters away and, like, made it into the tree and stuck the landing. Wow. We were like,
2: that was incredible. (laughs) But, like, we're just
3: standing there like, did anybody see that? It's like, anytime you have nature experiences where you see animals, Basically fall, you know. Basically, when you see animals struggle in their natural habitat, you're like, "That's cool." Right, especially something
0: completely rare, like watching a squirrel fall (laughs) from a cliff. (laughs)
3: Totally, like I watched a bighorn fall down a talus field once. Whoa! Like uh, you know, and we were actually admiring the bighorns. Like, oh, they're moving so great because we were having a really hard time getting up this this big mountainside. It's like really big challenging boulders and we're like this is so difficult and then we're like look those bighorns are so graceful and then one of them fell down and just tumbled down the rocks and we're like oh like even the bighorns have our dumb.
0: there's a like, gnarly series of photographs that this guy took of a mountain lion encounter with a bighorn and they both wound up dead on the highway but they both the mountain lion fell off cliff or yeah something. the mountain lion attacked the bighorn and they both went off the side of the cliff and landed on the highway. So you can find that it, because it's fairly famous uh, series of
3: photographs. Cause Dude. it's so intense. That like kind of makes you sad though. It you is feel, sad. Like, sad for the bighorn. Sad for the mountain lion. Yeah, it's sad, sad for the driver who's like, holy shit! <laughs> it's yeah. like two large animals fall out of the sky. Yeah, that's it. That's oh geez.
0: The, so they're both like leveled. On the side of the highway oh, and there's wow. quite a few photos like that the what blood that? coming out of the horn is where his horn came off jeez so his horn came off from the impact and you see it there bighorns yeah. don't lose their horns like like a deer does and then the mountain lion dead too yeah it's kind of a small mountain lion he's got in his mouth the fur from the bighorn yeah yeah not that wild that is oh that's so gnarly bones poking out i mean That is a fucking giant fall. Did (gasps) it say where? I think it's in California. No, no, Utah, Montana? Montana? Okay.
3: Jeez. Wow. Fighting on the mountain fell to their immediate death. Jeez. Man, that's wild. That is also well well done Googling that so quickly. Yeah. (laughs) It's a fairly famous
0: series of photographs because it just shows you – how difficult life is for those animals.
3: I'm like, now do you take a moment of silence for that poor mountain lion? <laughs> for, for both of them. For big one. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's, that's, like, that's kind of dark. Yeah.
0: A friend of mine had an, my friend Josh had an encounter with a mountain lion just two days ago. Really? He was on a ranch in Northern California and he saw these deer just skirt, like, t- take off. They just hauled ass out of there and mm-hmm. he was a hundred yards away from what he described as a 200 pound mountain lion. so wow. it's the biggest mountain lion he's ever seen in his life
3: has he seen many because yeah. i've never seen one i've, I've seen, seen tracks two. everywhere i've seen like i've you know i've been around mountain lions a ton and never seen one
0: yeah like, i've seen two but the ones i saw were small i saw wow. one that looked like like it was in the it was pretty far away it was like small dog size not small dog size like you know 50 60 pounds and the second one was basically the same size the second one Mm. though one of them i saw in the mountains of colorado and the second one i saw was in santa
3: barbara Mm. and it was on the street full suburbia (laughs) yeah Yeah, full suburbia that's that's the funny thing about mountain lions
0: Yeah. yeah yeah they they eat dogs
3: that's funny. Just the other day, I was like hiking up a a, a mountain, and we passed some bighorns, and then we're like strolling uphill, and there were we followed cat tracks for probably half a mile up. Uh, oh, wow! And like big, fresh in the snow, you know, cat tracks. You're so, like, obviously oh. there are mountain lions around, but I've never seen one. Like, probably because they're always right behind me. They're always looking at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> this exactly. Guy's
0: crazy.
3: Uh, <laughs> I was gonna a- I was
0: gonna eat that dude, but I was I wanted to watch him climb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish. I wish. <clears throat> How I was, often are you uh, doing these free solo climbs?
3: Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on things. Yeah, yeah. like fairly frequently. I don't know. I was just on this expedition, uh, in the jungle in Guyana, it was like a National Geographic TV show thing. And, uh, and I free soloed the wall we put up just, just because the type of rock we were on, no one's ever sold a wall like that before. So I felt like since we were there, it was felt almost an obligation to do it just for like this climbing history. You know, you're like, Oh, if you're there and you have the opportunity, you kind of have to. Now, when you see but,
0: something like that, do you make a route first with ropes always?
3: Yeah, yeah. So our I mean, because we were there I mean, it's a whole like complicated natural graphic T V thing. So we were there with a biologist, we we're like studying these endemic species of the tapuies. There's like this whole interesting natural history component to it, um, or sort of biology component. But um but we were just trying to climb this mountain that had never been climbed before. So the priority is obviously just to get up it to like find these species of frogs, to like do all the things that are important for the T V show. But then but then because I was there, I was like, oh, you know, on the side, I can at least do something that I'm proud of in climbing that's also pretty cool.
1: Oh,
0: wow. That's yeah. pretty cool.
3: Yeah. So it was like this, like, pretty – and it wound up being totally insane climbing, like, really cool, like, this overhanging wall of six, 700 feet high, um, you know, like, dangling. It's It was kind of the best style of, of climbing to solo because it uh, felt secure. Like, it's the type of climbing where you feel safe. Like, it's very, very good rock, so anything you hold on to, you know, is solid and it's not going to break and it also lends itself to these sort of striations in the rock where you can like wedge your hand in and like feel really secure but also it's incredible exposure because it's really steep like because you're in the jungle you can only climb stuff that's overhanging because anything that's like less th- anything else accumulates like water and dirt and winds up with plants all over it oh. so like the only stuff that's really climbable is the stuff that is sheltered from the rain so that it doesn't have plants on it so
0: so it's difficult
3: just by nature. Yeah, so it's difficult because you're hanging. And so you're like in these crazy positions where you're dangling from your arms, but you feel safe doing it because the rock's so good and the holds are so good. And you're just like, what a crazy place. It's oh. re- it's really cool.
0: But so, then when you get to the, the very edge, you have to somehow yeah, make yeah. your way.
3: And that's a bummer, yeah. <laughs> that seems yeah. like the most gnarly part of it. Isn't it, it? W- it actually probably, in terms of risk, it probably was. The final 20 or 30 feet of like getting onto the top, it's all like rotten soil and loose oh. rocks. And like, you know. Yeah, it wasn't ideal, but...
0: How do you decide which way to go when you get to something like that? Just what's the most likely path to success? Yeah,
3: well, so in that particular case, um, we had already established the route, you know, like, because it's this TV thing, we'd already climbed it, we'd put ropes up it, we'd, like, worked on it, the camera guys had gone up and down, we'd, like, camped up on this ledge to look for these frogs, Uh, we'd, like, done this whole experience, so for the free solo, I already had a pretty good sense of, like, how I should tackle that part, because, you know, we'd already been sort of living up there a bit, but... Wow. But I'm like, what do you do in February? You know, that that was was my February. So
0: these frogs, like the the idea is to, is it really an excuse to climb? Or is it like, do you really, are you really there for the frogs to check out these weird species? It's a little bit of both.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm like, I know this is a long form show. Do you want to like go deep into it? uh, Because it's actually really interesting. Yeah. um all right long form so so okay the trip was the trip is crazy i mean we just talk about the whole time uh i read freaking eight books while we were there because it's the jungle and you know it's the tropics so it's dark from six to six every day it's like 12 hours of dark and uh we're in our own little hammock so i was just in my cocoon like reading books every day and so oh, like uh, a headlamp yeah yeah a headlamp um because you have nothing else to do it's like raining and you're just in your own little like personal cocoon just like reading but um so i read like natural history of guyana natural history of, like you know, sort of the, the, the geology. So, um, like, have you seen the, the movie up like the Pixar yes. or Disney movie, the yes. cute thing with the flying house and the balloons? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's all modeled on like where they fly to the big rock things with the waterfalls. Those are tepuis, which are like real things in South America. Oh. Um, that's in Venezuela, Guyana and the Northern part of Brazil. Or if you've seen the new point break, they filmed down there. On the same rock features, I didn't see that. But so it's, you're not missing anything. No, it's really bad. But uh, but a lot of my friends worked on it, so it's like it's, like, it's cool. And it is like an incredible climbing place. Out of respect film, for
0: Patrick Swayze, I just uh, yeah exactly
3: yeah you you don't miss anything. <laughs> I actually fell asleep watching it on a plane. It was oh like, really? It, when you fall asleep during an action movie, you're kind of like come on. Yeah. You know? But um but the climbing in it is cool. And it, and it, anyway, so it's on these things called tepuis, which are like these big quartzitic sandstone walls that stick out of the jungle. And so if you imagine a huge raised area of land that, because it's in the jungle, has been massively eroded by the constant rain over the last 40 million years, so now you wind up with all these, like, slender sort of towers and mesas, you know, so, like, do you know Angel Falls? Like, no. The, it's one of the biggest waterfalls in the world. Here, like, pull up a picture. Angel Falls is, is a, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, there we Whoa. go. Dude, that's a, that's a rhyme. That's, you know, that that's, is what, that's what we were coming next to. Yeah, God, so, that's so beautiful. So if if you could, it looks p- fake. Yeah, it does look fake. Isn't that crazy? I'm pretty sure that one is a rhyme. And if you look to the left of the one you were just on, that w- we climb this little wall to the left of it.
0: Can you go back to that one, Jamie? Because like, if I was a dumb, yeah. So, so so that I would picture, think someone
3: built that. Totally. So if you could pan that photo to the left, though, obviously you can't because it's not in the frame. We climb this little mountain to the left. And so this is a really famous peak because the summit of it marks the boundary between Brazil, Venezuela, and Guyana. It's used as, like, the marker to separate those three countries. And so we were climbing this sort of little bastard stepbrother next to it. But, we, you know, th- that peak, though, had never been climbed and was, like, new to science for the, the different species of frogs and all that kind of stuff.
0: If you're but, an explorer and you've stumbled upon that, you would think that that was, like, a structure. Yeah, like it's so square and flat. Well, and on the and top. some of,
3: and some of them did. Like European explorers that first came into the region had all kinds of names, like the White Cathedral and things like that. Like that tower, um, they're just a bunch wow, of.
0: Wow, look at that one! Click on the one your cursor's on, Jamie. That's so. Oh, wild. actually, so
3: again, so actually, you see on the left side of that, there's like the hint of a little thing in the mm-hmm. distance. That, that I'm pretty sure that's the thing we were climbing. The thing to the left that's like just starting to appear out of the clouds. Right there. Oh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the peak that we climbed.
0: God, it's so beautiful.
3: But yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Except. To be fair, the sun only comes out. like So we were there in the dry season, and it rained like eight hours a day, and we were in the clouds nonstop. It was totally grim. And that's the so, dry season. Yeah, and so you see these pictures where you're like, it's so beautiful. And you're like, yeah, for 30 minutes a day, you know? And the rest of the time, you're just in the, in the water. On. Yeah, getting worse
0: That's so wild, man. Like, really, if I stumbled upon that, I would think someone built that.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's totally incredible. What is Wait, the geology? So, I didn't, I didn't even get to the cool oh, part okay. of this. Oh, well, so, yeah, you asking about what, the geology. What,
0: yeah, like, how does something like that form? It's so strange.
3: Yeah, so uh, that's the stuff I was reading while we were there. So, it's like this huge bed of sandstone, which then gets metamorphosed, like compressed into quartzite, so, like, really, really hard sandstone. And then, you know, the Andes. So, you have Gondwana, like, one of the mega continents that predates Pangaea, I think. Really? Uh, like, yeah, so, like, you know, if you imagine all the continents on Earth were once sort of combined. So South America and Africa, you know, fit together at the, the horn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this rock is most similar to rock in parts of Africa, actually. And so and part of what makes the the biology there so interesting is that the creatures on the summit of some of the tepuis are more closely related to creatures in Africa than they are to the ones in the jungle below them. because wow. Because the summits have been separated for so long. You see what I'm saying like yes. because the top of that those islands basically mm-hmm. they've been separated from the jungle below for so long that they more closely resemble where they came from in Africa than than the creatures that live in the rainforest below. It's like this totally incredible, you know, I mean it's just it's just an interesting part of earth.
0: Are you aware of the Olmecs? Do you know what the Olmec civilization was? No. The Olmecs, civi- it's really, it's a, quite a mystery. They don't exactly know what they did or, you know, what, what their culture was all about. But they had these heads that they left behind. These sculpted, gigantic stone heads that resemble, resemble African people.
3: That's not the Easter Island stuff? Or no, is that- no, that's different. Okay. That's different. <clears throat> this is the Olmecs oh wow where so they, and where were the Olmecs? in oh, south mexico. america oh yeah it says olmex yes yeah, S- south america
0: mexico central huh. america and there's a lot of them and these images are very um african looking faces and they don't really know what the history of them were huh and they know they they, they think some of them existed in the neighborhood of six thousand years ago but you know when when you're when you're looking at stone it's hard because they they just they carbon date the stuff that's around the stone as they mm-hmm. unearth it but that doesn't really necessarily give them an accurate sense of when it was constructed it just gives an accurate sense of how the sediment yeah, of covers it totally. yeah. so it's, they the stuff
3: it. the stuff in Guyana though is um look at on that on face a, on totally different scale like the the stuff that I'm talking about the I think the tepuis have been uh, eroded away, like isolated for 40 million years or something, wow. which, you know, far predates humans. And then I think the rock itself is like 1.5 billion years old. It's like ancient, ancient. It's wow. incredible rock. It's really cool. It's but, just
0: so wild, the, the way it formed, the, the the look.
3: Yeah. It's funny because, I mean, you saw the pictures. It looks like islands. And, mm-hmm. you know, early explorers thought that they must be islands or something. But it's actually uh, just the eroded remnants of what was once like a giant, you know, elevated plateau. Oh yeah, totally. So this is what the summits look like. Wow. I have a bunch of photos like that on my phone. It's just like scrappy little iPhone pics of uh, like here we are on this crazy. You know, because you're like in the clouds, you're in the mist. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like kind of grim and it's raining, but then the summit is like this totally wild. So like all those plants are incredibly well adapted to this harsh environment. And there are really high rates of carnivory, like plants that eat things, because there's basically no soil. One of the books I read said that described it as a rain desert. Like you think of a desert normally as having lots of soil but no water. And there you have infinite water but no soil because it's a stone surface that's getting rained on so much that it washes all the soil away. Oh, wow. So for any of the vegetation to live there, they basically all have different strategies where they're rooted straight to the stone. And then they, they eat You know, they eat uh, bugs and things. They you know they eat insects, or they eat other plants, or they you know they lots of plants that grow on plants, and it's just like a whole crazy web of life that's like really different than what you expect normally. It's
0: weird because it's so abundant. Yeah, it's got it's an unusual form of life, but it's everywhere.
3: Yeah, like that's so rich and green. Like you'd have, yeah. yeah, though, actually, I bet if in that photo, if you'd pan the photo a bit to the side, there'd be, like, big expanses of bare rock. Mm. Because the summit's, like, yeah, there are little pastures and things. It's almost like alpine meadows if you go into the mountains and in the northern hemisphere. Um, there'll be, like, high tundras and things where it's, like, yeah, it feels really lush, but then there's also a lot of exposed rock. Because when the sun comes out, you know, you're at seven to 9,000 feet in the tropics, so it's really intense UV exposure, and mm. it dries things out instantly. So it's really hard, hard climatic conditions for life. Wow. But.
0: That's wild. Yeah. And so these uh, organisms, these creatures that live up there, they're, they're closely resembling creatures that live in Africa. And so that was part of what you were studying.
3: Yeah. So we were with this biologist who was trying to do an elevational transect of, of the river basin that we were in. So basically starting from the rainforest where the frogs are pretty well known and then going up through the cloud forest, which is kind of as you gain elevation to the actual wall. And then the species all change as, as you gain elevation, which is kind of normal. And then the things on the summit of the Tapuies, on the summit of the, the the stone island, are completely different again. And so he was basically doing research on how how the different species, you know, basically what the deal is.
0: And it's really difficult to get there too, right?
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it, was, it took a very long time to walk through the jungle to get there. And then no one had ever been to this wall before. So cutting a trail up to the wall was totally insane. And then just yeah it was it was crazy
0: and you guys are sleeping in hammocks so do you have like some sort of canopy above the hammock like how do you have it set up
3: yeah just a little hammock and then a little rainfly just like a tarp above it oh wow but it was pretty uh it took me a while to sort of dial in dial in my scene i was basically sleeping in a puddle for you know most of the, a lot of the time
0: yeah and i'm sure your books were soaking wet too right no no everything's in wet. your
3: little dry bag yeah well that's true but you keep your stuff in your dry bags and like okay. you know keep it all organized but yeah. it is true that like your clothing once it got wet is just wet just wet yeah, yeah. just Sleepy i mean it dries in wet. your body but yeah yeah so I, I was in you know all synthetic clothing and synthetic sleeping bags so i was warm enough but then you're just laying in a puddle of, like a little puddle of water because you know the bottom of the hammock it all right. sags to the bottom and so it is all just pooling and you're sort of like, oh, man. Does Is the
0: synthetic to... stuff act like merino wool acts? Like, do they they have that dialed in where even when you're wet, you can it's still, still warm. stay warm? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it maintains all the insulation without, uh, even when it's wet.
0: What company do you use for that stuff? Uh,
3: the North Face. Okay. I'm, I'm, I've been sponsored by the North Face for a long time. Well, they're, they're but,
0: really dialed in yeah. with that shit, right? Yeah,
3: but all all synthetic clothing. Like, I mean, it's all, yeah, it's all good.
0: When it comes to, like, mountaineering, hike, yeah, hiking yeah. stuff yeah.
3: So this trip how long were you there for? were we there a month? Wow. Um or like four weeks and a month he, You know, it took us in like a hammock yeah. in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know totally. Totally. But you're
0: guys used to living out of a van,
3: so you kind I know, of but a, van, a little bit. But a van is like a small little apartment. It's actually right. pretty comfortable. You're dry, you're cooking for yourself, you know, it's yeah. pretty good scene in the van. The hammock was a little more grim.
0: What were you guys eating out there? Did you have to bring a month's worth of food?
3: No um so we had local sort of logistical support um so like an outfitter in Guyana had hired um a bunch of Amerindian porters or so the the local indigenous folks like basically all the men from this last village that we hiked out of like all hiked into the jungle with us and helped carry things for the the team and the film crew and everything. Oh wow. But um but so the logistical sort of operator in country had you know provided rations for the trip. Um, but it was basically just top ramen for the whole trip. Oh, really? So it was, dude, the hike out was so grim. They would, uh, they'd cook like a bucket of maybe 20 packs of top ramen and, uh, you know, we'd get ramen and then whatever was left over, they'd save. And then in the morning they'd reheat and we'd get ramen for breakfast. And you're just like, oh man, top ramen for breakfast. And, and What and about dinner. protein? Um, they had some little freeze dried. I mean, we just didn't have, you know, we brought a bunch of snacks, um, you know, and I'm normally vegetarian, but on that trip, I was eating, like, salmon jerky and just whatever, like, team snacks that we would brought. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when we were at the wall, so so the, that kind of logistical support was when we were trekking through the jungle both ways. But when we got to the wall, you couldn't really establish a camp because we were, like, right on the side of a cliff. And so we were all just kind of dangling on the side of the cliff. Oh, and so we were taking care of fucked. ourselves more. <laughs> yeah. But so then we were eating trail mix for basically breakfast and lunch and then a couple bars, things like that, like energy bars. And then having uh, freeze dried dinners at night, and that was just like our whole scene. Basically, we did like a week or ten days of of just kind of like trail mix and bars, and and it was it was kind of a grim. You know, we were like, "Oh, really?" You know, was really it like hurting get, for a salad or get something. Get out you know? of there and have real food. <laughs> well, so funny enough, I made it back to Georgetown, the capital, and we were staying in like the nice hotel in Georgetown or whatever. And uh, I got the worst food poison in my life in town. I was kind of like, oh, man. How <laughs> oh, ironic. Yeah, yeah. But when I got home, I was like, oh, sweet, like, crunchy vegetables and things. Yeah. You know, like, it's <laughs> so nice. And the hot shower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude.
0: The, the, the camping off the cliff thing, that is the one that freaks me out the most when I watch those images or see videos of people that are climbing that mm-hmm. pause in the middle of the face and set up a camp and they have like a little hammock thing. It's pretty cozy.
3: You should, you oh, should try. Oh, how dare you. No, it, honestly, <laughs> you're always so tired anyway. You're just like, oh, at least I get to lay down and relax. It's mm-hmm. like, so I and mean, it is nice. No. Uh, but
0: you, you don't freak out in the middle of the night and just think, oh my God, I'm dangling <laughs> off the side of a fucking cliff a thousand feet in the air.
3: At a certain point, you're just like if you fall you know you you just relax it's like i mean you sort of commit to it at the get you know it's like when you go to sleep you're totally committing to like all right this all had better work this is a better hold right and and if you and if you actually think that you're in danger then you keep a backup line you keep you know you stay tied into other things stuff like that
0: you well sometimes you don't
3: well so like where we were at the base of the wall was like pretty solid um But the thing is, the base of the wall, it's not like flat ground comes up to a cliff. It's like a steep talus field where all the chunks of the cliff that have fallen off over the years. Mm -hmm. And then that steep talus gets overgrown with, like, bushes and shrubs and, like, roots and things. And then bromeliads, like all these crazy plants that just kind of stick together. So we were camping on this, like, really steep hillside. But technically, there were plants. So, like, my hammock was strung between two trees. But they were like pretty scrappy little trees. And you are kind of like, huh, if the whole thing fell off the cliff, you'd be like, but you don't, but it seems unlikely to happen because you're kind of like realistically the load that your hammock's putting on the tree is a lot less than the load that the wind does, you know, when it's storming or something. So you're kind of like, ah, I think it's fine. And you just sort of evaluate the risk, you know? Oh, No, that, is, that is not what we had going on. Oh, that boy. Is, it's gnarly. No, Desc- no, that's...
0: Describe it for the people that are just listening. We're looking at what looks like a greenhouse that's fucking just no, hanging that off is, the side of a cliff. this a hotel. This oh, is like, that, that's like
3: a yeah. Swiss glamping option or something. A thousand oh, no, dollar
0: hotel room oh, wow. dangling from the side of a Peruvian mountain. No,
3: but that is like... Oh, Christ. That's like strictly for an Instagram influencer type that's shit. That's for assholes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not into that. Thank you.
0: Good. You and I are on the same page. I love it. The thing is... That looks like death. The thing
3: for me, I find that very contrived because it's like... If you're going to stay in a hotel, stay in a hotel, you know, like, like have running food and like, like where do you get your running water in there? You know, it's like, I don't know. But the thing is when you have to stay on the side of a cliff, then you do, then you do it in the nicest way you can.
0: There's a hotel, I think it's in Iceland that's constructed entirely of ice. And people go there to uh, just to say they were there.
3: What like, is Iceland? So I mean, isn't the whole society made of ice? Did, you know,
0: not, <laughs> it seems like it should be, but it's not. Um, Iceland's like more green, and Greenland's more ice, right? Yeah. yeah so there's this. It's a, a luxury hotel, and when you go inside of it, the entire hotel is. Const- Who do we know that went in there, Jamie? Was it a guest? Or did I talk to somebody about oh, That it? says it's in Sweden. That was in Sweden? Maybe a couple of them. Maybe there's more than one of them. Maybe I just fucked it up. There's
2: five hotels in Scandinavia. Oh,
0: wow. Really? Like,
2: there's a top five, so there's more than that. There's
3: no chance I'd stay in it. What? No, I shouldn't say that. I might you stay in an ISO. Isotel- yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. <dare> totally. <laughs> On the one hand, I'm like, that's dumb. On the other hand, if I think if I saw it, I'd be like, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, I just, the sleeping inside of it's got to
3: suck. Would well, it was- be really well insulated. I mean, just like an igloo.
0: I guess, but still, it would suck. What what if you have to pee in the middle of the night? You get up and, yeah, you're sleeping on a. Dude, have you never camped on
3: snow? Camping in snow is amazing because if you have to pee, you just pee and your pee burrows its own little tunnel straight down into the snow. Mm. It's like I I did an expedition to Antarctica and uh, you basically, like, I was peeing out the same back flap of my tent every night and your little pee tunnel just gets deeper and deeper. I think it went to the center of the earth by the end of the trip. (laughs) You know, it's like going just deeper and deeper into the glacier and you're like, it just goes forever.
0: Yeah, I've I've camped in cold climates before. It's it's not comfortable. It's not nice. Oh, if you
3: have a good sleeping bag and you know good pad, and it's
0: pretty cozy. You're just like, used to things that are less comfortable than most. I think. Perhaps cozy in perhaps. your perspective, you know. But yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But this uh, ice hotel, my friend who stayed, I can't remember who told me they stayed in it. They did it one night just to say they did it. They were at their kids too. i think you're right i think you're right i think you're right i know david yeah he's great yeah dude yeah he he for him an
3: ice hotel is like a normal thing he's like he probably just lay there on the ice the whole time just yeah just to see if he could just to see if he could he's a
0: strange person right (laughs) strange and powerful at the same time like a very unusual human being
3: dude i uh i met with him years ago now because he was did you see his like real or magic documentary no it's really good. I would totally encourage you to watch it. But basically, it's all these like sort of magic tricks, except they aren't actually tricks. They're just like, f- I'm allowed to curse, right? Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> so, like these fucked up things that he does that people assume must be magic, but aren't. Like he puts an ice pick through his hand. I a put an times. ice
0: pick through his arm.
3: Oh well, there you go. That's like the same yeah, kind of like. He made
0: me. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, "Come on, man. What are we doing here?" <laughs> exactly. That
3: well, no, exactly? And you're like, you're like you hope it's a trick, there you guys but are. it's like, look at you. Dude, exactly. Ta-da. Dude, he bought me an iPhone r- randomly. He uh, it really? was one of those classic <laughs> things. He uh I forget. He, yeah, so I met him in New York for this thing for real magic cuz uh he was talking about maybe doing a climbing thing and I was totally into teaching him how to climb the outside of a building basically. Cause one of those things that people would assume there's a trick to it, but it's in some ways it's actually easier just to learn how to do it well enough that you can just do it rather than do a trick. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. cause that's kind of the whole thing with the ice pick is people assume there must be a trick to it, but you actually just do this crazy thing. You just learn how to do it. Right. Right. And so, so I went climb with him a few times and he like, you know, gave me a tour around town and we chatted and stuff. I don't know. I was totally into it. his whole scene. I was like, such mind over matter you know i was like wow he he has got a strong mind for just like making himself do things that other people would think are impossible slash yeah it's just mostly
0: his mind mostly the ability to deal with uncomfortable feelings yeah like the ice pick through the arm (laughs) like we had to stop because i hit a nerve and then we did it again (laughs) so it hit a nerve and then there was one point in time where after we did it he was concerned that maybe blood was pooling up in a weird way so he had our medic look at it so he he stopped we stopped twice right we stopped once and i put it back in again and then we go all the way through and then after it came out we had to stop again and then one of our guys had to look at it because it was just bleeding in a weird way he was worried that was creating a hematoma and it could be I'm like,
1: come,
3: come on, Yeah. Uh, if you ever watch the, the show, you know, or Magic, whatever, mm-hmm. it's it's really good. But in one of them, like, he puts the ice pick through his hand. And, and then he pulls it out. And he's like, look, see, it's fine. And it's like, and it looks totally fine. Like, it's not bleeding. You know, it's because your hand is so elastic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I asked him about it. You know, I was like, oh, what's the deal with that? Because you pull out, you know, it's like, is it a trick? And he's like, no, you pull it out. And as long as you're holding your hand above your heart, it doesn't bleed for a little bit. He's like, but then when you put your hand down, obviously it bleeds because you have fucking a hole through your hand. And I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's not much of a trick. That's that's messed up. But
0: one of the things that he showed us was there was a, a guy that was famous back in the day for putting swords through his body. The guy would run. Like the whole way? Mm-hmm. The whole way through like a his really, organs. really, narrow sword? Yeah. A small, but they got progressively larger. So <laughs> got he got more...
3: progressively deader?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is that how he died? Do you remember, Jamie?
2: I... I... I feel like that's how it ended up going. He got cocky, <laughs>
3: Yes, he got cocky, Dude. I think.
2: or he like, sneezed halfway through
0: and just like lacerated. Eventually, made his way to like a broadsword size. <laughs> it was really weird to see, though, because there's video of this guy, and there's photos. Video? Is there I, video? I got video of it. Here. Is there yeah. video? Yeah, this guy slid like right through his organs. Oh geez. Yeah. So look at this. Oh jeez. I mean, they just puncture his lung with a fucking sword i mean this is not a trick
3: this is when you watch action movies and people get shot or stabbed a bunch of times and you're like that's so unrealistic he'd be dead mm. like when you watch john wick you know and he gets right. shot like 27 times you're like mm-hmm. apparently people can actually uh, take quite a beating and just keep going
0: or they can get one small oh, look they're going geez. right through this right through his fucking dude yeah, oh my right jesus organs, and look how he just sat sits there and, and I guess the,
3: who's this doctor? Who's like uh, good enough to poke a sword straight through? He's
0: not really a doctor?
3: Well, but he must the, be a like he'd be an incredible. Uh, maybe he works in a deli. You know, like what a really really this, good Jamie? like meat shop. say what
0: year this is? The, what are the things on his forearms, by the way? Oh, he's so he, now he's going into an X-ray machine to make sure that. So this guy had scars all over his body from the times that he did this. Dude. Yeah. Yikes! That's a fucking fairly thick blade like definitely bigger than a pencil that the doctor's examining it looks good and now he's going to eat except it's
3: all going to fall out the hole
0: yeah it's going to score it out that's a hard looking man imagine having a conversation with that dude i bet he has a very weird way of looking at things
3: dude
2: He died at 36. That guy looked. Oh, well, there you go. He looked like look he was 50 already. I was saying, really Fill the
3: holes. I wonder how painful that is. I mean, it's got to be painful pretty painful. As fuck. Yeah, you would There's, assume. How could it not <laughs> be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: fucking piercing your ear is painful.
3: <laughs> I've never pierced my ear. Too afraid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. You're too afraid to nah, pierce I mean, your
3: ear. Well, no, I just don't want a hole in my ear. So, did he oh,
0: die from that, Jamie?
3: I'm um, double checking on how he died. Yeah. Uh, you need like a team of researchers that you're just like
0: pulling up, uh,
3: like, yeah, checking fast. I know. All it's stuff. all
0: Jamie one handed Googling. Yeah, it like a wizard.
2: He moved to Switzerland and was granted a license to perform without the ability to speak to the public. I don't know. That sounds strange. A it's... license
0: to perform without the ability to. Oh, maybe like if you performed, you had to talk to people.
2: Like they had mimes back then, though, no?
0: maybe you had a break character I don't know. or they weird. get mad at you
2: <laughs> but that seems like so maybe he couldn't say that he got he was like ow it hurts and they're like
3: <clears> Shh. i don't know like this <laughs> <laughs> is well, so silly to even to, have to, a to thing be like fair that. the the act is less inspiring if the guy screams in pain the whole time because then True. nobody wants to watch
0: right yeah i mean the same guy doing the same thing screaming like like he's being tortured that would be sick. I mean, it'd be
3: the same for David Blaine. Like, when you yeah. watch the David stuff, it's like, if you were putting an ice pick through his arm and he was just screaming, like, if he was just sobbing the whole time, you'd be like, I don't want to watch this. I wouldn't do it. It's I'd like pull, a... Stop. It says in 1948,
2: yeah. he was uh, alleged, he was instructed by voices to eat a steel needle. And two days later, it was surgically removed. I don't know. I, I think he got cocky. It's fair,
3: fair to say was, he was, might have some weird confusing. things going on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He was probably so,
0: trying to kill himself and couldn't believe he kept surviving.
2: Yeah, he was laying on a bed. They didn't th- I guess they didn't know he was dead and then they finally got a doctor to check him. Turns out he'd already been dead for a day. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a little
3: Jesus Christ. We need we need like three more uh, research interns <laughs> like you yeah, his whole Jesus. scene as fast as they get cuz they're like wait, none of that makes any sense. And this was
0: because of swallowing a needle. mm
2: mm-hmm. Mhm. Said he had he thought he had guardian angels. He said he was telepathic. He could heal people. Mm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he didn't heal himself very well Or maybe he did That's how he survived so many You know, being impaled so many times I
0: I guess you can just do it, though It can be done, you know Because they're fairly small holes Although they do go through the length of your
3: entire body It's. I mean, you yeah. just think you'd get infected With.
2: I think that's part, of, part right. of what that video was Was him proving to doctors that it wasn't all fake And that's Because that's what it says He proved to Zurich doctors that it wasn't his act wasn't based on fakery.
0: Why do I get so uncomfortable just talking about this? I'm so I'm breathing heavy. I'm
3: like, Oof. maybe you need to practice a little bit. You have somebody start putting needles through like little parts of your arm. You know, like
0: just, there's just something weird about people that are willingly hurting themselves and causing themselves pain.
3: No, I I, I kind of agree with that. I yeah. do I do find it slightly. But David, very well adjusted man, it seems very you well. Know, adjusted. Very friendly, you know, super like nice friendly. guy. Like And his card tricks are legitimately dude. mind blowing. Dude, so fun fact about his card tricks, I don't know if he'd be so he uh he took me to lunch once and like did a whole thing of card tricks and I was totally I, I love magic and I think it's cool and you know, I like obviously they're all tricks, but I was like, This is incredible. The execution's incredible, I was totally into it. I was super impressed. And then uh, at the time I was I was dating this girl in New York really briefly and um and a couple days later, we all went to the climbing gym together because, like I said, I was kind of encouraging him to, like, do some some climbing thing. And he then we went to lunch again. And he basically did the same set of card tricks for this girl that I was dating but having already climbed for, like, an hour or two. And it was funny because his execution of the card tricks was noticeably worse for me. It, like, you know, I could tell that he was, like, doing all his tricks worse once his arms were, like, totally wrecked from climbing for two hours. Like, basically, his right, fingers and his forearms right. were totally wrecked. And that actually made me appreciate how difficult the tricks are even more. Because so I was like, oh, wow. Like, if your fingertips hurt and your muscles are wrecked and it's hard for you to hold your arms steady, then it's, like, very hard to fan the deck, you know, evenly and to, like, pick cards properly. And it made me appreciate just how much skill is involved in what he was doing. I was like, oh, dude. It's it pretty cool. You know, basically to see somebody do something at their peak and then when they're also totally wrecked and then to see kind of the overlap, you're like, oh, this is actually quite hard. Like, what he's doing is, is, is a challenge, you know?
0: You know what it's like is, like, He's got the fine motor skills that we have for tying our own shoes. <laughs> totally, but for a deck of cards. Yeah.
3: Yeah, when he can just cut to the 27th card or whatever. Right. You know, and he's like, let me just cut this deck. And he's like, oh, there's card number 24. And, and you're he like, he really
0: can do that. Yeah, like he's when, when he's, he's in it practice. done it so many times that he has that. You know that because there is that feeling that you have when you tie your shoe where your hands just communicate mm. so fluidly. You know, like that's like what people strive for in jujitsu. In jiu-jitsu, you strive. Like, that's actually what my uh, my coach, Eddie Bravo, he uses that as an, ex- as an example. That when you tie your shoe, you don't think about tying your shoe. You just tie your shoe. Mm-hmm. And in a certain situation, you'll flow into a technique. Like, a technique will happen, and it'll, it'll happen. And because you, your, your repetitions, you've hit totally. them so many times, it'll just be so fluid. And so for David, it's got to be like that, but with, like, the very tips of his <laughs> I fingers.
3: Know. <laughs> I know. For somebody like me with... You know, very callous. I can't even imagine feeling anything that right, way. Well. Like, honestly, right. decks of cards, I just like f- crumple them all together. I'm just shove them. Like, is it shuffled? You know, like, I can't even manipulate right. them that well.
0: Yeah, I would imagine, right? Like, your hands have to be like super rough, right?
3: Yeah, normally pretty rough and then also just really calloused on the tips. So, I mean, often, you know, I can pick up like hot things and like not really notice it quite the same way or, you know, oh, things like that. Of course. I mean, if you're yeah. grabbing like, grabbing a very coarse rock all the time. It's like you have to wind up with really callous fingertips. Of course, just, yeah. But so then something like manipulating the edge of a card, it's like I can't even imagine feeling it.
0: Have you seen... there's a, There was a guy that was on this television show called Dual Survivor, and he was known for walking... Is that what it was called? Dual Survivor, I think. One of them goofy survivor shows
3: that's the sequel the soul survivor no no no
0: it was these two guys would go together and they would you know and the idea was that they would help each other out but his feet he always walked barefoot everywhere Mm. like he never wore shoes so the bottoms of his feet were thick Mm. like a giant thick fat piece of leather um see if you can that kind of thing though yeah there's there's one of the bottom is the middle image you can see the bottom of his foot is just like this disgusting
3: that i'm, I'm kind of not into that because i mean you know there <laughs> there are probably a billion people on earth that basically don't have access to, to footwear you mm-hmm. know like there are probably a billion people on earth who do that just because that's how they live right and it, dude it's funny because i've been thinking a lot about this kind of thing because you know having just spent the month of february in guyana with with uh we had all these Amerindian porters helping us carry all the stuff in for the show and and i was thinking a lot about survival shows in the u.s because it's so popular to be like oh we're surviving in the woods and you're like dude they're there are at least tens if not hundreds of millions of humans on earth that basically live in survival shows like that. You know, that's just their day to day. Yeah. It's not a survival thing. They're like, that's, that's a freaking Tuesday. You know, they're like, Oh, I'm going to wander into the woods with my machete. I'm going to cut some stuff down and make myself a little shelter. I'm going to start a fire, even though it's raining. It's like, what else? Yeah. And, And being on this trip and like watching the Amerindians and just how, how easily and effectively they could live relatively comfortably in the jungle it made a total mockery out of reality TV style survival stuff, you know, because we'd get to a a new camp zone and you see like eight or 10 guys just kind of like fan out with their machetes and kind of like chit chat. And like an hour later, there's a camp erected with a fire going and water boiling and they've all changed clothes. They're all clean. They're all happy. They're dry. They're like having a good time. And you're like, they just made a village, you know, (laughs) with just a machete. And like, it's totally insane. Yeah. You know, and then you watch survival shows where it's like, he will now do such and such. And you're like, come on, like somebody doing that, for show is just so different than people doing that literally every single day for their life. You
0: know? Right. Well, at least like Survivor Man used to actually do it, but then there was the other guy. What was the other guy's name? The other guy was the other the other show. The guy was the British handsome fellow who was in Bear the, Grylls. Yeah, Bear grills What's okay. his show called?
3: Uh, well, he's got one now called Running Wild with Bear grills which I know because I did it with him last year or oh, two yeah? years ago. Which actually is cool, but that's more like an interview style show where he takes don't people you on go like to experiences. A- Oh, yeah, Man vs. Wild. Is that what it is? That, that was his original. But
0: the, the thing about him was like people got mad because they found out he would go to a hotel at night. No,
3: no, no. So that was a different thing. So I, I actually talked to him a bit about it while, while we did the thing. Mm-hmm. So originally he was just doing the full. And I think maybe his show predated the Survivor Man thing. No, it didn't. I, I think it may have. No,
0: it definitely didn't. I'll tell you okay, why. Okay, no, sure? Because Les okay. Stroud is a friend of mine and he's okay. been on the show. And the reason this show with Bear Grylls no. was created is because Les wouldn't because fake things. Les well, refused no, because- to go... They wanted to do things to set things up for him... To make it look like it was more difficult than it is and hmm. he didn't want to do any of that. He uh, he filmed everything himself. What, the uh, entire Survivor Man show.
3: What network is Survivor Man? I don't remember. Oh, yeah,
0: okay. It was all but it was the same people that were producing it. They go, Well, we'll show you. And huh. then they went and did this other show and then he got busted for sleeping in hotels.
3: Well, so the way he the way Bear Girls tells it is more that the first several seasons of a show was basically like surviving, where it's like everybody's just out in the bush like doing the hard mm-hmm. thing and it's kinda grim. And then, basically, said over time, you just realize that the show is as well received either way. Like basically, people enjoy the entertainment of the show regardless. And he's like, you don't need the whole crew to suffer. You don't need to suffer. Like nobody needs to be out there like getting worked and wherever for nine days when you can make a good show in two. That sounds like, like what I
0: would say if I got busted. Well, sleeping. In well, and so
3: anyway, but now his new show though basically has just taken a different track because ultimately the the. What's the thing? Running Wild Burger. The thing he does now is basically just take other people out and like have an experience with them. And it's basically mm. just a, a format for interviewing like interesting people. Oh, okay. is
0: a wild yeah. environment. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's like taking uh like he took Obama out into uh like a uh a reserve in Alaska, you know, to like like a wild places or something.
0: Imagine like, if he took Obama somewhere and Obama got killed by a bear. Dude,
3: well I think I, I mean I think there were Secret Service snipers like ready to shoot a grizzly. Really? No? Yeah, I think so. Wow. But that's a pretty yeah. cool gig and once what, you once you leave you get secret service protection for life but do you want that do you no. want people following you around with like, a gun everywhere and like a walkie and stuff yeah, like at all constantly. times like, oh.
0: uh, yeah but that's the problem is know. that people legitimately want to kill you yeah, that's, totally. that's the, yeah, that's secret the, service is there yeah that's the real <laughs>
3: bummer yeah. Do you want to yeah. have a lot of people that want to kill you your whole life? That sucks.
0: Yeah. The thing I understand what you're saying though about that guy walking around barefoot, but I think in his he's like a serious survivor guy, and I think in his eyes you don't want to depend on shoes. So he's developed his feet to the point where he could walk on hot rocks and walk everywhere.
3: Yeah. The thing is though that people who actually don't have shoes all want shoes. You know what I mean? Mm. Like that. Not that's necessarily. Mostly, though. I mean, that's the thing. is like all this like survivory stuff, you mm -hmm. know, it's like when you go into like indigenous villages in the Amazon, like they want refrigeration. They want electricity. They want direct TV. Like actually (laughs) this village we were in, the guy was like, I want direct TV. And we were kind of like, well, you need power first, you know, (laughs) like you need connectivity in some way. Like, you know, you need any kind of infrastructure, but it's like people want solid wooden floors. They want, you know, they want medicine. I mean, communication for there's just I mean, there's so much. I just think it's a little weird to like celebrate the survivory stuff where it's like, oh, you know, you should toughen yourself up and get back to nature. And you're like, yeah, that's cool. But the vast majority of people that live that way don't want are to. like actively seeking a slightly more comfortable and slightly more secure lifestyle.
0: Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. But my friend Steve Rinella spent some time with an indigenous tribe in South America when he filmed his show uh, Meat Eater. And uh, they are actually I, they either offered them shoes or let them try on shoes and they didn't want them hmm. and these guys it's the weirdest shit ever have you seen what happens when someone grows up living and walking in the forest barefoot their f- feet splay out like a hand
3: mm-hmm.
0: have you seen it it's,
3: yeah or just like yeah yeah i know what you're talking
0: about see if you can find there's i forget the name of the tribe i'm trying it's, it's it's escaping me but they they live uh, deep in the jungles of South America and he spent uh, a bunch of time with them hunting and fishing and they they eat they eat a lot of monkeys which is really crazy like they, they cooked and ate a monkey on the show and that's like their preferred food they actually enjoy monkeys and they eat all these other you know
3: birds and yeah, whatever totally.
0: creatures they can find they do a lot of fishing and they do a lot of uh, uh, bow and arrow fishing. but Yeah, uh, yeah.
3: Like the folks we were with were doing the same thing, and they had different arrows for shooting fish versus shooting game. Right. I was like, oh, that's so interesting. It's like these barbed things for fish. And I was like, right. I'd never even thought about shooting fish before. I was like, oh, this is cool. This is
0: what their t- their feet develop oh, and
3: start looking like.
0: Yeah. I don't know.
3: <laughs> like, I feel like that might be an
0: unusual photo. <laughs> no, there's a bunch of them like that. And no, this no, but is that's what like, Ranella described. Huh. This is what he described to me. And then we started finding photos of these when. Uh, he was on the show talking about it. We uh, went and looked at them. Are those from him? Because I see you, you have
2: sort of. like, are you sure that that that's not from his page. I Tried to find something like that, but that's what we've looked at every time. I was like,
3: because that-, that those feet look like uh, they just have some vitamin deficiency type like weird no, bone thing going on, you know? Like I
0: don't think it's that. I think it's from actively gripping the ground. Like that, you know how your hands hmm. sort of splay out? Yeah, yeah, totally, from they grabbing. Are, we're so used to our toes being in shoes, in a, mm-hmm. you know, what you would call like a cast. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the way these, there's a lot of different fo- feet of different humans that mm-hmm. live like that, walking around barefoot. They could see that splay out like that. Yeah,
3: no, our, our porters uh, were mostly well- wearing uh, like Wellington, like boots, you know, mm-hmm. like rubber boots. And then there were a handful that were just barefoot, and you'd be like, oh, dude, we're like five days from a village in the middle of nowhere, and you're just like trekking barefoot through the mud. So. Though the jungle is actually a more hospitable environment for going barefoot than a lot of places. Because it's soft. Yeah, because it's like kind of muddy, and like, right. you know, I mean, there are like thorny things, but not. it's not the desert, you know, it's not like sharp rocks and cactuses and things. And so this show, is it aired? This show, No, it's, did? Uh, it'll be in the fall, I think
0: and so you're there for a month filming this mm. how many episodes is it going to be no
3: it's just one episode <laughs> wow <think>. yeah <laughs> that's crazy yes i mean you know it's not like it's not like my show and i was just there to climb this wall i mean what to is me show it's called um i think it's nat geo explorer i think explorer is like the series mm-hmm. i don't know i mean you know we'll see but um no i was just there as a climber to climb this new wall and and just because, you know, on a personal level, it's like an incredible life experience to have a trip like that put together where you get to go somewhere totally wild, learn yeah. about an incredible place, like, you know, yeah, climb on New Rock. You know, it's cool.
0: It sounds amazing. It sounds pretty yeah. wild to see. I-, I can't wait to watch it.
3: Honestly, um, I mean, my last couple of years, you know, I had like the whole crazy free solo film tour, which is like a year of, of crazy travel and work and then a year of covid which is also you know really different with like no expeditions no travel. Mm-hmm. And so I hadn't really done a, like a overseas climbing expedition in that way in in a couple of years. And it felt good to get back to just to remember that you know there are hundreds of millions of humans on earth that live in completely different ways that that it's hard to even remember if you're if you're not reminded of it from time to time. Right.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, well, I can I understand your distaste for people that are kind of posing too. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not distaste for posing. I just I hate I hate glamorizing. I hate looking backward too much. You know, what I mean, this whole like oh we should get back to our roots, like back to nature, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Because it's like people who live in nature, full stop. You know, I mean, they might appreciate it. They might they might love nature in its way, but they still want the stabi- like a lot of the stability of modernity. You know what right. I mean? Like like there's a reason that people have developed power grids and like communication infrastructure mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things. Like it's because it makes life safer and more comfortable. For sure. And it's like. And on the whole, humanity has embraced all those things. So, I, you know, I kind of hate the backward looking, like, oh, we should just get back to our roots, you know, like like the Thoreau style, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, get rid of all this stuff. You're like, no, like, we have all this stuff for a reason. It's freaking great, you know.
0: Well, we have all this stuff for a reason because human beings have a deep fascination with innovation. And some of it, you could argue, makes our lives less happy, though. I don't, I don't know. When you because... get to social media, when you get to, like… Constantly staring at screens, and you get to living in cubicles off of your irid- of uh, fluorescent lights. Totally, there's, there's an argument about it.
3: Yeah, that, that kind of like nitty gritty stuff. Yeah, it's like perhaps social media makes your life stuff less is rich. The, but the having com- a having a power grid, having communication, yes. like having a roof, right. having you know Food, uh, like yeah, roads, like yeah. all those things yeah. are incredible. Yeah, and if they sure. bring if they bring extra attacks on our attention, then you know so be it. Basically,
0: and then you just. Requires discipline to not fall into those traps, yeah. and also, you know, an understanding of the the path that you choose can lead to deep disappointment if you decide to live that cubicle life. Like, un- understand that this is not normal for people. So this
3: is this is somewhat close to cubicle life, actually. This, thing?
0: <laughs> this is, first of all, completely voluntary. Voluntary
3: No, no. no, of course but I I've mean the actual the, the feeling of like we, we are inside this tiny little thing
0: Yeah, we are inside a weird thing But you've seen but, the new one yeah. You're one of the rare people That's I seen know. the new one Which is a little bit bigger But um, uh, Have you ever seen uh, Werner Herzog's Documentary uh, Happy People No It's uh, Life in the Taiga It's about people That live in Siberia
3: Oh, well, they're not like they it can't be happy people <laughs> it's they're very, very happy yeah. you'd be shocked i mean that's the point of the film I yeah
0: guess. the the point is these people are trappers and hunters and gat well they're no gathering really but they're they're hunters and fisher people and hmm. they they live uh in the taiga which is a yeah like the, the, the tundra, in, yeah of siberia and it's like this incredibly harsh environment and they rely on dogs and sleds, and they make their own skis, hmm. and they uh, have a, uh, most of these guys have uh, snowmobiles, and they have a trapping run that they go from one place to, they have these cabins that they have set up hmm. with uh, are, are they plastic the, windows. Are they the
3: indigenous people of that area? Like, they're, no, they're human, they're, they're, are they like Russians? Russians. They're okay, Russians, okay. yeah. And
0: uh-huh. they're really happy. It's really uh-huh. weird, you know, like... You see them all together laughing and there's like very few instances of mental health issues and Mm. they they live this subsistence lifestyle. It's it's, it's
3: I mean, the subsistence lifestyle, though, is just so on edge. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. through all of human history, most subsistence, uh, you know, basically human groups that live in that way are always, you know, like one – one famine away from death, basically. Sure. Or you know, one like, broken
0: leg away from yeah, exactly. death. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Especially if like, you're in the woods, right? Yeah, I mean... You I mean, might and, not make it out.
3: Yeah, I mean, where we were in the jungle, totally, you break your leg, and it's like, oh, it's a six-day walk to, to civilization. And people carrying like, you. Yeah.
0: But that happened to Ashley Judd. Did you hear about that? <laughs> no. What Yeah, <laughs> just like last week. Really? Yeah, she was in the Congo, and she was uh, doing some stuff in the rainforest with the pygmies, and she fell. Uh, she, I think she fell, like tripped over a log and snapped her leg. Oh. And uh, it was a harrowing experience to get her out. And I think she almost lost her leg. Dude. Yeah, it's, it was a big deal. Do yeah. you know
3: how many days or like how far they had to carry her out, or like what happened?
0: It was a long journey, and huh. um, I'm I'm pretty sure she she might still be in the hospital. She was fucked up though. That's like, crazy. And they said that it she came well, she may be crippled for life and she came very close to losing her leg. And they I showed be, uh, like pictures of it. I wonder it?
3: if that's happened before where like an A-list celebrity actor, or actress loses a limb in a terrible accident.
0: Seems like it she would was really almost the first. She was almost the first. I know. I'm like <laughs> I <laughs> I there know. must
3: be some examples of that, but that seems unusual. usual. Yeah. That yeah. was a
0: horrible accident. Yeah. You know, he became paralyzed with the neck down for the rest of his life. But, uh, see if you find uh photos of Ashley Judd's leg. <laughs> Cause, uh, she was in the Congo. Uh, one of my good buddies, Justin Wren, he, he runs a, a nonprofit where they go to the Congo and build, um, uh, wells. And hmm. we, we've, We actually help support it. It's uh, fight for the forgotten, Hmm. and um, it's this incredible thing that he does, where he, you know, he's he's got malaria three times doing it. He spends months and months and months at a time. This is they're carrying her out here. Yeah. So they had these poor dudes. Those guys are not very stout either. Skinny little fellows. Yeah, but I bet they're they're very strong. I (laughs) I mean, that's 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 the whole thing. Like
3: in all parts of the world, like you just wind up like. Look at oh, her leg,
0: look at how they have it like strapped together like she's fucked I don't know how long it took her but I, I'm I'm pretty sure it was like
2: said 55 hours just to get
0: To a hospital to, or something? To
2: get checked I think Dude,
3: 55 yeah. hours Yeah,
0: 55 hours with a broken leg
3: You know those guys were going in shifts every, you know, yeah. every 30 minutes of carrying a full grown woman They're just like, oh man Whew, Crazy <clears throat> Wow Yeah That's tough rough on her yeah. I, went, I once had to carry a partner for four hours out from the mountain but oh. after he broke his heel but that's a lot different than 50 hours out from the, the jungle you know yeah we could actually see the road but it's just four hours of hiking to get there
0: how did you carry yeah. him on your shoulders yeah just
3: piggyback just carried him wow my guy. actually it was dark and uh, we didn't have headlamps so i would take our backpacks with an iphone and like walk down to sort of scout the path and then dump our stuff and then go back and pick him up and then carry him down whoa uh, took a long time
0: so you had a- Go like little stops. Yeah, pick yeah, up, yeah. But the thing is, it.
3: realistically, it, it was really difficult terrain. Um, you know, a couple thousand feet of like vertical loss down this Ooh, down this wow. mountainside, like crazy rocky and stuff. It wouldn't so, be. Um, was
0: it? Was the environment really cold? Was it? Would it be easier it, it to was, leave in there and come back?
3: It was really cold, but also, um, I mean. But he would have just had to come out eventually. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we could right. have left him till morning, but then we'd both just be like cold and tired and still have to do the same thing. You know, it's better right. just to like do it in the dark and get down eventually. But um, yeah, it was really cold. That was in Red Rock outside of uh, Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, it's like home area now. It
0: gets cold as fuck out there and It at gets night.
3: very cold. You, you know.
0: live in Vegas now? Yeah. You know Didn't we talked about that the last we time? Met, yeah,
3: I, I, would have, uh, I would have been living there like a year or two last time we chatted. Mm, okay. But now I'm like, I fully just live in Vegas. I'm totally into it. Awesome. Vegas
0: is weird with the 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 lockdown, the quarantine. It's it's come back to life now. I Actually, I haven't been to the strip at all, at all since you've moved there.
3: No, no, uh, for all of COVID. Oh, all of COVID. Yeah, we, we drove right at the beginning of lockdown. We drove the strip like right when it was all happening, and it was completely <laughs> empty, like ghost town. And then it had all the flashing neon signs saying, like, wear your mask, and we'll get through this together. And I was like, this is the beginning of a zombie movie. you know." Right, there's, right. like, no one on the street, and there are all these, like, apocalyptic lights still going. Like, stay safe. We'll see you on, you know, next time. And you're just like, dude, I just wanted to see a zombie come running out of, like, the entrance <laughs> to the Bellagio or something. I was like, this is crazy.
0: Yeah, we got to the door of Zombieland that's what we got you know we didn't get into zombie land but we got to like oh i could see where zombie land is totally we got like we almost knocked on the door to zombie land <laughs> yeah and, weird shit man but it was weird vegas was particularly strange because it relies entirely on tourists hmm. that's the entire business is people visiting vegas and and going and gambling and doing all that stuff so the first couple of events <clears throat> that we did with the ufc there were no crowd And, uh, you would drive around in Vegas and you'd see no one, no one Hmm. on the streets, like the occasional car. And I'm like, God, this seems so strange around the strip, I bet. But Mm -hmm. like
3: where I live in suburbia over on the West side of town by the mountains, it like feels pretty normal. I mean, traffic's a little lower, but, um, but it's basically just people living and like getting food and doing their thing. So, um, Yeah. Uh, like for the climbing community in Vegas, you couldn't even really tell that there's that COVID was a thing, you know, because uh, the governor of Nevada explicitly allowed outdoor recreation throughout lockdown. So it's like you're still able to go hike and climb. That's and look a for very good
0: thing because they didn't yeah. do that in California. It was one of the problems with California's lockdown is that it's nonsensical, yeah. and it, you know they, when they were trying to pretend that it's science based. If it's science-based, you would know that the science says that the, that COVID dies almost instantly with contact with sunlight. So I know why that, can't that, people go outside?
3: I know. That kind of bummed me out with all the, like, locking down public beaches and stuff. It's like, no, yeah, it makes titillous. sense that you don't want people congregating in big crowds necessarily. But it's like, if you're going to lock down, you have to do it sustainably in a way that, like, people can actually live that way. And, like, going yeah. outdoors is kind of one of the best ways to make it sustainable. Because, like, people that, can spread out. They can still feel happy. And, like, you know. Get and some you sunlight, get vitamin like. D, which is totally. one of the best
0: things to combat COVID. This, they, they found that 84% of the people in the ICU with COVID had insufficient levels of vitamin D. Only uh-huh. 4% had sufficient levels.
3: Huh. I mean, is that uh, what's true in the normal population? Like, are most people just deficient? Most people are deficient. D? It's yeah, a, guess, g- oh. a
0: giant problem <clears throat> with huh. people in general. And they think it's a giant contributing factor to low immune systems. Hmm. Weakened immune systems because of vitamin D is apparently
3: a huge issue. With the mm.
0: uh, you know, we're just not designed first of all to wear to clothes. be indoors all the Second time. Second of too. all to be indoors. Yeah. We 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 evolved to be outside.
3: Actually I think really pale people like us probably do need clothing. Like, you know, because if we're outside <laughs> all the time, we'd be my skin would be would be in trouble. Well, we're pale because
0: state. our ancestors lived in Europe. They, yeah, they yeah, moved exactly. to a climate yeah, from where they Africa. Clothing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what's weird. It's like we're just basically like a solar panel for vitamin B or vitamin D rather. Hmm. That's the reason why we're white.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Because
0: we needed more vitamin D that we can get.
3: Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Totally. Yeah,
0: that's what it is. It's also the reason why brown folks and black folks have a much harder time with COVID with vitamin D levels. Like my friend is a doctor and Hmm. he said that he was working in New York City and uh, some of the patients that he had that were black people, he would test them and they had indetectable levels of vitamin D.
3: That's interesting. Yeah, is that a cold environment, Is, is it true that clarity, the dark skin folks uh, generate less vitamin D? I mean, yeah, I guess, from the sun. Yeah, from the See, sun. Because
0: vitamin D is one of the rare things that we actually require sunlight to generate. Mm-hmm. And the reason why black people have it, obviously, is when you're from really hot climates. Totally. Your body is actually really sunny needs climates. to be protected. Yeah. And you're getting plenty of vitamin D. But your body's protected from the dangers of the sunlight with more melanin. Mm-hmm. so the the darker skin gives mm-hmm. you less vitamin D, but you're getting plenty mm-hmm. because you're, yeah, outdoors because you're in the sun and, so much totally. and you probably you, a lot of your skin is exposed yeah mm-hmm.
3: yeah. So yeah he I, was I explaining never thought about that
0: to me, how important it is for darker skin people to supplement with vitamin d it's a huge issue huh. yeah, and
3: just most people need vitamin D yeah I mean if you're living indoors all the time, it's kind of like. I mean it's yeah. tough. What's
0: well, a hormone too. That's what's weird about vitamin D. It's not really a vitamin. It's a hormone.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's they call it vitamin D, but it's it's an actual huh. hormone. And isn't, it's responsible it, uh, like, for a lot of different things in the body. Not huh. just your immune system, but it's uh, brain function, it's it's it responsible for muscle tissue development. There's a lot going on with vitamin D.
3: Never. I've never even thought about it that much. I'm just like,
0: do you I know you're a vegetarian, but do you supplement? Do you take vitamins at all?
3: Not not that much. Actually, the last couple of months I've been um, thinking Athletic Greens. Do you know? what that Oh, is? I love that like, stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, great. I'm pretty into it. I know, it's, it. I know, it's really good. It's really. They good. Uh, actually they sponsor my podcast, and so uh, so I started you know using it because I was like, oh, cool, they're like getting on board with the podcast. Yeah. And like, then, um, it's but legit. now I've like gotten really into it. I think, yeah, yeah I'm. Uh, it's like one of those classic things that feels really helpful, and like the more I do it, the more I'm like, I think this might be helping. Like, it's, I feel, su- it's I super pretty good. legit.
0: I mean, they've worked yeah. on the same formula for over ten years. This is the 53rd iteration hmm. of uh, Athletic Greens. Just I know. I, I kind of like
3: that. They're just constantly improving it yeah. rather than like rolling out different products. Exactly. It's just like this is a good product that just continues to get better. Yeah. Like, I, I respect that.
0: I love that stuff. I bring those travel packs with me everywhere. Yeah, I,
3: I did for the jungle. Yeah. Every morning I would take my travel pack of Athletic Greens and then uh, and then my Malarone pill for malaria. And then, so it's like... The, you know? Oh, the
0: Maloran pills. Yeah, How, did that stuff fuck you up?
3: I didn't notice anything. Oh, really? But um, oh, I took cool. it for all the times that we were in populated areas around the villages. But then once we were like at the wall, and we were because uh, basically once we were camped on the wall, uh, we didn't even have any porters around us anymore because we were sort of separated from like the main camp. We were just like at the wall, so mm-hmm. there wasn't enough of a population base around for us to worry about mosquitoes. Oh, and really? And so then uh, I stopped taking it for, like, the week or two. So we is that
0: how it works? Mosquitoes only exist if there's a population of humans? No,
3: no. There are still mosquitoes, but they just wouldn't have malaria. Oh, Because the, the thing I is, see. they have to be getting the malaria from somewhere. So So, so if you're, it. like, in the full-on middle of nowhere where there are no other, like, living things around, there mm-hmm. wouldn't be malaria because there's nothing to carry the malaria.
0: Oh, so it's a what came first, the chicken, the egg type deal.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so, like, well, I mean, it's kind of true for all, you know, diseases that plague humanity is they're more uh, – you know, they're found more in villages and towns and like around mm-hmm. population centers. But if you get out in the middle of nowhere, there's not, there're not enough people to, to host the, the virus. You know, and it's
0: all stagnant water, right? That's where well the stagnant the, water the mosquitoes are coming from, right? Yeah,
3: the stagnant water breeds the mosquitoes. Yeah, but then the mosquitoes have to get malaria from, right. from somebody that's carrying the virus, and they can transmit it around.
0: So is that stuff that you were taking, is that like a prophylactic? Does it prevent you from getting it or is it a treatment?
3: I think it's both actually. Oh, so so it's yeah. So if you
0: did get stung with a mosquito that had it and you You would take that that, stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's great.
3: Um, I I think. I d I didn't know that much about it. We there was a team doctor on the trip and he basically just told us like do this and But it didn't fuck you up at all? I didn't notice anything. What but was it? C- Could have been the athletic greens, you know. I'm just m- keep keeping keep, uh, right? keep you yeah. on track. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: What was what the stuff? Mephlo, That's the stuff that Justin. That Wren. gives
3: you the crazy dreams and stuff. Oh,
0: Justin, my friend, who I was telling you that runs fight for the forgotten, mm. he it took that mephloquin stuff and it fucked him up. And he was taking way more than he should be taking. Mm. Apparently, he didn't realize it until it was too late.
3: Yeah, I, I've heard of other types of malaria meds that are really hard on you. Yeah, that's Supposedly what we were taking is the most low impact, and then we only took it just for the periods where we thought we really needed it. And you didn't like, feel
0: anything from it?
3: Didn't notice the thing. Oh, that's but great. People say they get crazy dreams, but I never remember my dreams anyway, so I was like, I didn't get, Well, you I've, know.
0: I've wanted to bring my kids to Africa. I oh, you want, definitely should. Yeah. I want to bring them there, but I'm worried about the medication. I've done, uh, oh, I
3: wouldn't stress it. I've done, uh, I don't know, probably 10 plus trips to africa and never taking malaria meds there really depends where you're going that's the thing right. and so i've gone to well also i'm always going to mountainous zones or mm. like places in the middle of nowhere but basically if you're going to the middle of nowhere you don't really have to worry about malaria that much
0: yeah but i would want to bring them where animals are i'd want to bring them yeah oh, i'd want them to see no, that'd be fine middle of, i mean yeah
3: i've done sure. safari stuff uh, a couple and you don't times. have to worry
0: about malaria those places i don't know
3: i, I never have i mean well, like if um, the
0: other place i want to go to is egypt do they do they have malaria in egypt must, I'm sure it must right? exist,
3: but, you know, again, I don't know. Like, I've gone to Morocco three times, spent a month each time, yeah. never even thought about it, but um, but I've also been in the mountains, you know, climbing mountains and things like that, but, um, yeah, I mean, you should look at it case by case because, you know, like, I did a month-long expedition in Chad, and uh, technically, like, if you looked at a global health thing, you know, Chad is a malarial zone because the, the southern part of Chad is, like, near the Congo. It's, like, sort of, you know, tropical, but the whole rest of it is full-on desert, like, there's no water. And so, you know, we were in the deserty part, and it's like, obviously, you're not worried about malaria the whole time.
0: Have you ever gotten any funky diseases doing these crazy journeys of yours?
3: Well, I've, got, I've gotten sick. For, uh, no, I've never gotten anything crazy. Uh, you know, knock on wood, I don't think I've had any parasites or anything like that. But um, like the trip to Chad, I had the worst stomach stuff going on the whole trip, but I think we were drinking sort of dirty water, and, mm. and the food was kind of weird. And so I was basically sick the whole time, but I think it was like normal sick.
0: Normal parasitic sick?
3: No, I, I don't think it was a parasite, but dirty water sick. No, I mean, and I took um, Cipro and uh, with antibiotic and was like fine eventually.
0: Now, when you drink water out of those places, do you bring like um, those little iodine tabs, or do you use a Steripen? Or like, yeah, it depends
3: you... on the it depends on the place. But so, like on this trip in the jungle, we were using iodine a little bit, using Steripens mostly, and then and then untreated, uh, like just having a bunch of it untreated depending on circumstances rainwater yeah stuff. rainwater and then um some of the creeks and rivers that we were passing when we were in the middle of nowhere um it's actually pretty crazy the water like runs brown there's so many uh, tannins in it like the organic material from the like the biomass of the jungle the mm-hmm. water actually runs kind of like black brown water but um like tea colored even though it's just like clean you know it's not like sediment inside the water right. it's like the water is just brown um but apparently tannins make it more acidic and, and make it slightly better for drinking so
0: did we were, you drink the brown water yeah yeah and we were, were cool
3: i mean so far so good we'll see <laughs> no one of the uh one of my partners on the trip came home and, and thought he had a parasite so then i was really Whoa. paranoid about having a parasite for a couple weeks but um i haven't checked and I,
0: I think it's all good so we'll see justin had a gnarly one that lasted more than a year Whoa. yeah he they they didn't know what it was because you know he was deep in the congo and they think he might have gotten some sort of unrecognized parasite or undiagnosed parasite or you know on un-
3: totally unknown to science yeah
0: and Dude. so they they gave him he's he had like i don't know how many different treatments and then eventually they they got it dialed in that stuff okay is tough now. because
3: even the treatments are kind of hard on you you know mm-hmm. so it's like the parasites having some impact the treatments have some impact is at all kind of like upsets oh, it re- your gut it wrecked his body yeah he it wrecked it's everything like,
0: his hormone balance was fucked everything was fucked huh. for a long time like for more than a year that's, his health was fucked that's what i'm trying to avoid yeah we'll see yeah well he said he got it from bathing he said he got it from huh. bathing in the river he's pretty sure that's how it uh that's how it got
3: him not drinking no how just, did it enter his body though? It
0: could be just little holes, little s- scratches. The same thing with staph infections, right? You know, like you just I little guess, scratches that'd be and a stuff tiny gets tiny little,
3: you. tiny little parasite. Oh,
0: I don't geez. know, man. I mean, uh, your body absorbs thing through the skin, right? Your skin's an organ. Like, who knows what kind of weird parasites we're talking about here? But it got into yeah. his brain. <laughs> yeah, this heavy duty stuff,
3: man. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's why I typically don't go to the jungle. It's yeah. all about the mountains and, like, deserts, you know, I big understand. rocky places. But this particular trip is just is such a unique, you know, wonder of the world, basically, to climb rocks like that, sticking out of the jungle. It's just so crazy. Is
0: like, that what you look forward to the most, like, going to these sort of uncharted places and and climbing these structures? and
3: Kind of. I mean... I, I mean, I put up new roots on all seven continents. Like, it's cool to go wow. to new places and, like, you know, experience the world, basically. Like, and sort of experience the richness of the world, you know, because there's so many crazy things like that where you're like, who knew that, that this sort of thing existed on Earth? You know, like, it's nice to, to experience that.
0: Which is but, why you need a podcast yeah. to talk about these
3: things. Yeah, the, the, like I said, in my podcast, I don't talk about those things. But that's just, crazy.
0: Like, that's such a, an interesting aspect of your
3: life. Yeah, well... Perhaps uh, once we run out of all the content that we're trying to cover, then, <laughs> then we'll just start, like, telling crazy stories. So
0: mostly <laughs> what you're trying to con- cover is the content of the sport itself.
3: Yeah, we've so, so far we've been interviewing some of the biggest names in climbing and then sort of drawing out specific themes. So, like, basically getting the best stories from some of the best climbers to speak to specific aspects of climbing. Mm-hmm. And it's all, uh, you know, it's being produced. So, like, we're editing it afterward. We're cutting things together, adding sound effects and stuff but basically trying to tell very specific stories about like how the sport started, how different aspects of it came to be, you know, we're trying to be a bit of an educational resource for people who are interested in climbing, but don't totally know where it's come from or like what's happening with it. Mm. You know, for, because basically with climbing, going to the Olympics, there's like this huge influx of attention and climbing. And, and on like, I mean, I went to the climbing gym here yesterday and, uh, and I have this experience more and more when I go to the gym, it's like, Tons of very passionate climbers, but they all started climbing like three years ago or four years ago, and they started climbing in the gym. And it's just such a different world culturally than than where climbing came from in the past. Right. And so it felt like an important time to tell some of those stories and kind of bridge that gap a little bit.
0: Um, I'm sure you've seen the documentary Dirt Bag.
3: No, I don't, I don't know what is it. You never seen that? I don't. What? Uh, what's it about? It's or? about a
0: famous climber, about a guy who they called him a dirt bag because he just sort of like slept anywhere he could. And just wanted to climb constantly, and you Which, know, uh,
3: who who though or what? Uh, let's let's put, Fred Becky. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Did you ever meet him? I, yeah, I've i would met him, and um, yeah, I mean, I know Fred Becky. I've, I haven't seen the. Uh,
0: it's really good. Do you want a CBD drink? This is actually for you if you'd like it.
3: Uh, no, I'm okay, thanks. It's I don't, um, I don't know what would happen to me.
0: Oh, it's no. not. It's non. It's uh, not psychoactive. It's just 25 milligrams of CBD. What, it just what, tastes good. What it's, happens to you? Nothing. It's just, I don't know, I've never had CBD. Really? It's yeah. great for inflammation. If you vitamins. got
3: aches and pains, I'll, I'll take it's a sip. We'll see what happens. Yeah, tell me. Actually, much, actually is it like bubbly? It. I kind of hate bubbles. Yeah, it's bubbly. I don't like bubbles. Okay, <laughs> it's mine. Yeah. It's got my
0: face on it. Does it really? Yeah, look. There's like, my face. That's your face. It, yeah, I designed it. This is it's you. The, yeah, this flavor is. Uh, I know it's not the best drawing of me. I don't it's totally um. See the resemblance, but kind. Of, well, it's me as a pineapple. Oh yeah, Flaming Joe. It's um. <laughs> It's uh, jalapeno and pineapple. That's right. You got U F O s. You got the whole thing. yeah, the whole deal, man. It's, there's a bow and arrow in there somewhere. Uh, classic. Yeah, there it is. There's an nice. arrow shooting a pineapple?
3: Yeah, classic. No, I don't like bubbles. Which um, <laughs> you don't drink beer or anything? No, no. Do you drink alcohol? No, don't drink alcohol and don't drink soda. Don't yeah, don't don't really drink much. Wow, yeah. just water. Yeah, basically you boring, motherfucker. What if, know, no wine? Nothing. No. no, though I mean I'll, I'll probably drink wine when I'm old or something. I don't know. <laughs> I going to do it. But you gotta wait. Um, pull up no. this the the documentary uh, of Fred Becky.
0: It's really good, man. And I watched it on a whim one night. Um, you know, I was just flipping through uh, iTunes and I just saw it. I was like, "What is this?" And then I watched a preview of it, and I'm like, this? "I am I'm, I'm fascinated by people that are really into a thing, whatever yeah, that iconic class, yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> And this guy was just absolutely absorbed with climbing his whole life and never gave a shit about making any money and all he (laughs) cared about was making these routes and then writing these routes down. He had these Mm -hmm. insanely detailed handwritten notes that he kept in boxes. And he had, like, stacks and stacks of these notes of all these different places that he climbed. Hmm. And then it's also interesting watching, because, spoiler alert, towards the end of the movie, he's really old. Yeah. And he can't – I mean, you look at his body, it's incredibly frail. And he,
3: he just can They're, they're can't still pretty climb. fit for a 90-year-old. You know, when you think of it – Oh, yeah. I mean, because he was still climbing as a 90-year-old, yeah. and you're sort of like – it was pretty impressive what he... I mean, he was still going into the mountains at, like, 85. Oh, yeah. So, in in And,
0: and they, they filmed that.
3: Yeah. They filmed him
0: doing that. It's just that he yes, couldn't do the things that he used to be able to do, but he still loved them. Yeah. He still loved to do those things. And, you know, he had to accept at certain points in time that he just couldn't do it anymore.
3: Yeah. I, I met him uh, at several different events, like, toward the end of his life, basically, you oh, know, yeah? as an 87-year-old or whatever. Like, yeah. And it was... It's pretty amazing. You'd be like, Whoa, it's the Fred Becky. But I mean, obviously I've climbed tons of his roots all over the country. It's like yeah, I mean, he's a visionary for, for lines. But I mean but that's exactly what we're trying to sort of preserve through through Climbing Gold through the podcast that we've been working on. It's like, um so you know, I mean he had that that first ascent vision um Mm -hmm. our our actual our our second episode which is out right now um is with this woman joanne Urioste, who uh, lives in las vegas who basically put up all the classic routes in vegas so she was kind of like fred becky on a a local scale where she's like lived in vegas her whole life but in and like now vegas like red rock in particular is like a global climbing destination people come from everywhere to climb there because it's incredible rock but in the 70s no one was interested because they thought it was like, it's the desert, it's too hot, it's too sandy. They're like, who cares? Like, let's go to Yosemite. Let's go somewhere good. And so she and her husband sort of had the the run of the place, and they basically put up all these incredible routes, which are now inc- extremely popular. Like, on a typical weekend day in Red Rock, you know, in, in the canyons, there were probably there's probably no joke, a hundred different parties of climbers climbing on different routes of theirs scattered throughout the canyons. Wow. You know what I mean? And so, and I think about it because... All those climbers are all, you know, they all started climbing in the gym in LA like three years ago, basically. I mean, people coming to to Vegas, like a lot of them are road tripping up from LA. A lot of them started climbing within the last few years. And they're climbing these routes. And, you know, they're having an incredible adventure on the route. They're like, this is rad. We're like climbing this big wall in the canyons. This is cool. But they never really think like, who put the bolts in? Like, who did this the first time? You know, because now when you climb a lot of the routes in Red Rock, they're, like, buffed in chalk. Like, all the holds are, like, have, have you know, chalk all over them. And it's, like, really obvious where to go and how to climb them. And they're, mm. like, really clean and safe. But when they first got put up in, like, 1974, they were, like, wild, full-on adventures. And and largely done by this woman, Joanne. And so our, our second episode is, like, interviewing her and sort of exploring what it takes to do First ascents And what it takes to have that vision of, like, we're going to go somewhere totally different and do things that no one's ever done before. You know, it's just, yeah, it's interesting. How it's, old is Joanne? Uh, she's 70 now. Oh, wow. Or turning 69, maybe.
0: And how old but, was she when she first started climbing?
3: Uh started, I guess, in university or maybe in, even in high school. I think, um, I mean, it's all in the episode because her whole, I mean, and that's what's so crazy is that when we're talking to these old school climbers who are like have done incredible things over the last 50 years they all started with these outrageous stories of like oh i hitchhike across the country to go climb this one mountain with a buddy who i'd like corresponded with by mail you know things like that <laughs> you know because it's like it's such a different world than nowadays yeah. where it's like oh i went to the climbing gym for a birthday party and i liked it so i kept going and i got a lesson right you know what right I mean? right so the, like, the
0: birth of the climbing gym you, th- you think that's responsible for the escalation of the sport
3: yeah i think that's a huge part of it um And then even also just pop culture type stuff, you know, I mean, something like a film like Free Solo, like, obviously popularized a little bit, or films like Valley Uprising or The Dawn Wall or, like, other sort of relatively mainstream climbing films that reach a broad audience. They just bring more people into the sport. And then because climbing gyms have become so much popular, there's a venue for all those people to to try it. You know, there's, like, an access point for the sport.
0: And people Um, find it really challenging in terms of, like, an exercise.
3: Yeah, but also really fun. You know, it's like... It's yeah. like all the all the challenge of, you know, doing CrossFit or something, let's say, but with, you know, more maybe more of a social element and also just more like hanging out. You know, it's like more chill and like easier yeah. in a way than something like CrossFit, but still like great, you know, full body workout and toning and all that.
0: Yeah. And the, the, but, the social aspect is a big factor, too, mm-hmm. right? It's like just yeah, getting I mean, all
3: <laughs> when, when you go to a boulder gym, most people are just laying on the pads like chit chatting. And then every once in a while you get up and you try the boulder problem and you try really hard and then you have to rest again. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, it's fundamentally a, a relatively chill and social sport. Yeah, you know, when you're in the gym like that.
0: There's a lot of jujitsu guys who got into uh, rock climbing as a, a supplemental yeah. activity.
3: That's funny because I know climbers that go the other way. Oh, really? I know climbers that get into jujitsu. Yeah, there's like a small contingent of like high-end climbers that got into because it is kind of the same stuff with hands and grappling, mm-hmm. and like especially yeah. with
0: the gi. I would imagine. Is
3: that the like holding on and the, like, the, the you know like the yeah. kimono? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The, the idea of that. You know, because you need a lot of grip strength or Yeah, something totally like that. It. The nogi, which is what you do like rash cards usually or shorts and T-shirts, is mm. a lot of like gable grips and hand grips and mm. learning how to grip your hands together as opposed to gripping other people's stuff, gri- gripping mm. the clothes. Mm. But the jiu-jitsu guys find it like a, a great supplemental exercise for hand strength. and mm-hmm. the, build- the whole idea is, you know using your own body weight. Like they they like that idea of it too because you're totally. not carrying like any weight on.
3: It's like a adult gymnastics but more right. fun and like yeah. more relaxed and and yeah. like slightly more cool, you know? Like especially right now it's like going through a cool moment where people are like, oh that's a fun, new, like sort of edgy thing, but not too you know, because when I was a kid it was edgy but it was like too edgy because no one knows what it is and they all think it's weird. Right. You know, now it's like edgy in a cool way and you're like, oh yeah, let's go do that.
0: It is funny that climbing has been right. around for so long as a human activity. But then as a sport and now as a popular sport, it's experienced this renaissance. Mm. It's really weird,
3: right? Because it's such a prime,
0: like, as we said earlier, such a
3: primal activity. Well, and and, and that's why we did the podcast, you know? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly, you know, that's exactly the thing. Because we're yeah. like, yeah, it is, it is interesting because real technical rock climbing has been going on for more than 100 years. But, and, you know, mountain climbing predates that. And then, like you said, as a human activity and people have climbed trees forever for sustenance, you know, or to escape predators or whatever else. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, climbing is is deeply ingrained in, in humans. And yet right now it's really cool. And you're like, all right, you know, it's like it's an interesting yeah. time to explore it.
0: But, it's crazy how things happen like that, where they just catch fire. And then all of a sudden it's in the public zeitgeist. and
3: Totally. Well, I imagine, you know, skateboarding, snowboarding, like yeah. other sports have gone through that. But mm-hmm. I was slightly too young to... Realized that that was happening when they happened you know because i was like a little kid when skateboarding was getting cool and and you know and snowboarding i think is arguably gone full circle and it's just like not cool anymore nobody really does it now but really i think so i think if you actually look at numbers snowboarding is is gone way back down that's kind of interesting so I, i could be wrong though instead of snowboard well, I think snow sports in general are kind of suffering because freaking there's no snow. Because you know?
0: oh, really? Oh, because of global warming?
3: Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, think of like Western. Like each year, it's kind of like oh, you know the the resorts didn't open until super late. They closed super early. They have kind of bad snow. It's like there've been a bunch of like pretty bad years in the last decade. Mm, you know, that's interesting. because like, and, I've been and going they're Park so City. expensive.
0: Park City has been uh, pretty going consistent. Off. Yeah, mm.
3: consistently snowy. No, like Tahoe, um, I mean, I'm from Sacramento in California, so I know Tahoe pretty well. But um, the, like, the snow line is now sort of more like 7,000 feet instead of 6. Like the lake is at 6. Mm-hmm. And now it's like you kind of expect snow going from 7 up. And you're kind of like, you know, it is slowly sort of drying out. You know, it's wow. like the resorts just don't have have the kind of snow you'd expect you know we got hit with a
0: giant snowstorm here right
3: in austin oh yeah. yeah dude that was while i was in the jungle oh really yeah well so funny enough so while i was in the jungle so i came out and i had like a mountain of email and i had an email from my utility in nevada that was like entitled you know could what happened in texas happen here and i was like what happened in texas then i do a little googling and i was like jesus what happened in texas <laughs> and uh Crazy. yeah that all happened while i was away and i was like wow that's like that's momentous you know something, it was a wild
0: week trapped at home Huh. Yeah, well, I I have a 1995 Land Cruiser that's like mm. built to drive over anything, so I got around. Oh, yeah. so, and there were a few stores that were open, but the majority of the roads were But wasn't mostly power empty. out and everything? My power was not out, but mm. some power was out. It depends on where you were. It's Crazy. Like, it's, uh, some power would go- come on and go off again. They'd, they'd cycle mm. it like every few hours. But it was uh, a weird experience, like lines at the supermarket to get in. Like, we had to wait in line an hour. I was like, is that a COVID line or is that an apocalypse line? It was an apocalypse line. (laughs) It was like people were thinking that this this snowstorm was going to continue for a week. And you were you know, below freezing for a week. In Austin? In Austin, yeah. Does it normally snow in Austin? You wouldn't think so. Very rarely, but it snowed once this year and it was cute. And everybody's like, yeah, it snowed because it was only snowing for a yeah, day. Yeah. And then it snowed for a fucking week. And it was, you know, zero degrees outside. And everybody's like, holy shit, this is not good. there was, they were apparently four minutes plus from the power grid completely going down. Because the power grid is not established to deal with a week of that yeah, kind yeah. of cold. Yeah, It's just not designed that well, way.
3: And it's weird that the Texas power grid is its own grid it's like why isn't tied into the east or the west you know it's totally it's, stupid that it's independent because it's
0: texas they want to know be independent. but like <laughs> that's so
3: weird because i mean all all systems are more robust when they're tied into more things sure you know what i mean yeah it's like i mean realistically it should be tied into both and then you'd actually have a national grid and the whole system would be more stable well hopefully you know? now they'll recognize yeah, that it's possible it. for it to
0: freeze it. for a fucking week but the, the concept of global warming is interesting because it's like yeah overall it is warming well that's why people say climate change instead because it's more like
3: more variability yeah exactly yeah Yeah, where it's like when you get your whole season's rainfall and two big storms that basically like dump a ton of rain it's like that's not good for anybody you know yeah like even if the numbers wind up like oh we had you know this much rain this season but it all came at once and it washed the whole mountainside away you're kind of like
0: they're starting nice. to build these uh, electric exploring vehicles, like electric adventure vehicles, hmm. which is pretty interesting. Like, there's a company called uh, I think it's called yeah, Rivian. Yeah, oh, Rivian. Dude, I'm sponsored by Rivian. Song. Are you really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah,
3: and Rivian yeah. Uh, they support my foundation, like work that my foundation does with solar. I've never um, seen one in totally. the wild. Well, it's because they don't exist yet. Oh. Yeah. They're uh, they're shipping to customers in uh, like two months or something oh, like that.
0: Oh, interesting.
3: Yeah, yeah. Rivian. Um, did you see um. There it goes. Yeah, there you go. Look yeah. at that. What does it say?
0: What's the tagline? Keep the world adventurous forever. That's a dope-looking truck.
3: That's a, a dope-looking series of rocks thing. right there.
0: <laughs> You're so into it. It's so yeah. funny. Yeah, so these yeah, pickup g- trucks great are truck.
3: fully electric. Yeah, so I've driven, uh, I've driven them for photo shoots. It's like, dude, it's so awesome. Yeah, imagine. So great.
0: I drove my Tesla here. Yeah. Tesla is apparently their, their Cybertruck goes into production very soon. And there, um, there's another. Co- oh, GM. GM has, you know, they used to have that stupid Hummer.
3: Hmm. Well, now they they're reinvented the, the
0: Hummer, and it's an electric, incredible <laughs> off-road adventure vehicle.
3: Oh, is it actually commercially available yet? It's not. It an idea? It's
0: not. But it's going to be, and it has a thousand horsepower, and it has a full like skid plate underbelly. It's hmm. fully designed,
3: like for like, like, like legitimate off-ro- <laughs> off-road use. I'm like, I think I'm more into Rivian. I'm like well, I feel like that's a bit much, you. you know. Well not just that they pay me, but also um <laughs> it's a little bit of the the design ethos behind it. Mm-hmm. Like basically like like Rivian has a like second life application in mind for their batteries. You know, like oh, wow. like they design the battery packs knowing that eventually they won't be in vehicles anymore and that they will be used for say like grid scale storage and things like mm. that. It's like one of the projects that Rivian is working with my foundation on is this microgrid in Puerto Rico. And it's like the idea is that you know I mean so Rivian has a uh, 100,000 uh, electric delivery vans ordered from Amazon already so like in theory they're providing 100,000 vans to Amazon for like They're connected deliveries. to
0: Amazon right as a, Amazon is one of the
3: investors. Yes. Um, not founders they just basically right, Amazon has just pre-ordered a shitload of vans cuz mm-hmm. they need electric vans. And so you know just right there you know that eventually there'll be a pipeline of 100,000 used van batteries going offline in like 10-15 years or whatever. Mhm. And so the way you design those battery packs matters because, you know, in 10 years, you're going to have to reuse them for something, either recycle them or reuse them for something else. And like Rivian's put a lot of thought into how it, it will eventually reuse its batteries. And, um, you know, I don't really know about, about Tesla batteries. And I would just assume that GM is probably like that's almost certainly not built into their brand in the same way. You know what I mean? GM is just kind of like, oh, the Hummer is like a brand that people already care about. Let's just like revamp it with electricity now because it's cooler. Oh, it's a completely
0: like, redesigned thing, though. The, the way they've done it, I know what you're saying, but the way yeah, they've done it is it's more um, in some ways of a um, expression of the possibilities of technology. Because they've they've incorporated all sorts of create like it can crab but like, walk. Do you need a thousand freaking horsepower in like well, it's an armored be- car? It's like you don't. It's cra- that's but, like a
3: tank, you know. You
0: don't. But the idea is that it can do things because of that horsepower that perhaps it wouldn't be able to do,
3: like go up a did- vertical wall. Yeah, literally. <laughs> if you hit it with enough speed,
0: well, it can crab walk. It's designed as a feature. What that means is, like in certain things where it's almost impossible to gain traction. This thing can actually go like this hmm. and crab walk. It's, it's, Interesting. It, it's, a, it's actually like you can set it. It's a crab walk setting and hmm. you press it and it'll do the, the crab walk thing for see if you can find that it's pretty wild oh. The video of Hum, Hummer 2021 Hummer crab walk. They're not released yet, but I think they're really soon. Hmm. And then um, another thing I want you to look up after that, Jamie, there's a new startup that I think is Austin-based that has developed a new kind of battery, or they're in the process of developing a new kind of battery that has a 1,500-mile uh, range to it. So this is this thing. like, see if we, So this is what it looks like. See, it's not outrageous looking, but yeah, they no, have two different models, and one of them, the roof comes off. So the the entire top of where the passengers are comes off. So this is obviously CGI. Yeah, but it's still sort of so the when it gets to, uh, I guess we'd have to watch the whole thing. So when it gets to some place where it's having a difficult time, see how it's doing that? It got it went sideways so to I, get through that little path. Did it actually
3: do that? It was hard to tell. Like, that's the like kind right of thing like that no human driver, though, would ever try to take their truck through something like that. Oh, they
0: definitely do, though. These people do
3: this for fun. No, no. Th- this is all CGI. Like, right. I'll believe that stuff when someone's actually driving their real Hummer. Because also, there's that's not even... That's for sure just a post-truck, you, you know what I mean? sound
0: like a Rivian Sports spokesperson. This Well,
3: not, uh, well I mean, actually, if anything, I'm, I'm saying this more this. because I've worked with Rivian through their whole mm-hmm. design process, is that... You know, I've done photo shoots with them where uh, we were driving like the prototype truck, and so it's all like a carbon fiber frame, like it's not the real production, like metal truck. Sure, it's just like a one off, like model. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty crazy because the engine, like it's still uh, it still had a lot of get up and go, you know, it still feels like a rocket ship, but the seat belts were held on by velcro, it's all just ornamental, you know, to like make it look good for like an auto show. Mm-hmm. Like, none of it's like road safe or, right. or like legal or anything. We're just using it for like photo shoots on under roads. But you're like it's pretty crazy like one of the shoots we did uh, all the electronics were being controlled by an iPad and there's an engineer like laying down behind the seat in the back using the iPad to like keep the <laughs> suspension working and keep everything like working properly. Oh, because, wow. because you know it's like a model one-off like demonstration. And you're kind of like anything you know, I mean I, I don't know that much about cars, but you assume that something that's like not in production yet is for sure like that, you know, it's like some mock-up model until it's actually being built Especially properly. Especially
0: something that has that much technology.
3: Totally. Where it's like yeah. actually brand new. As soon as you start talking yeah. new features like that that don't technically exist yet, you're kind of like, you know that there's some engineer in the back seat frantically pushing buttons, being like, "Come on, baby, work this time. Work this time." <laughs> exactly. You
0: know, it's like Bro, yeah. like when Elon Musk had the new Cybertruck and they yeah, said the, like the windows <laughs> are perfect yeah, Exactly. It's <laughs>
3: exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. The um this, see if you can find this startup because what they're going to be able to do is instead of charging your battery, um, you know, it goes to 1,500 miles and then swap out packs the, or They can swap it out in 90 seconds. Hmm. And it's got 15,000 miles of range or 1,500 miles of range, hmm. rather. Yeah. Which is uh, pretty incredible. I mean, no,
3: I'm, I'm all for like better solutions yeah. to this problem, you know?
0: And the apparently. The, the energy storage capacity of this particular type of battery, whether or not it's actually exists or it's vaporware, is uh, substantially better. Because the, the new Tesla Plaid, which is their new Model S. Why is it,
3: why is it Plaid? What is that? Yeah, it It's get crazy. That. I, don't, oh. I don't know. But does it mean plaid like the material? I, I just, what he
0: calls it, it doesn't look oh. plaid. This is the company? Yeah. Okay, Ample. Um, and so this company, I, I read an article about it actually this morning and this company is going to they'll be able to swap out your battery in 90 seconds so Mm. is this it modular battery swapping and so it just kind of puts it back in place and then you're good to go so like you'll pull into a place they'll take out your battery deliver 100 percent charge in minutes
3: if nothing else, at least their CGI looks way better. <laughs> yeah, their, you know, it's right. like because obviously none of this actually exists yet either. So right. it's like modeling, but at least it looks really good. You're like, oh, this.
0: That's the, the yeah. problem is with a lot of this stuff is like I've met a lot of these startup guys, and they they want to sell it so hard. Not this particular, but other mm-hmm. technologies. He's just like, hey, how much of this can you do and how much of this are you just trying to get funding for? Totally. You know? I'm,
3: I'm kind of into it, though, because I feel like if everyone just keeps pushing as hard as they can at the thing they're interested in, you do mm-hmm. wind up with good ideas, you know? Fuck yeah. I mean, like, Teslas are great, and they've yeah. done, like, great things for, you know, like, I'm realistically, the faster humanity can transition to electric, or basically transition away from fossil fuels, the better. And mm-hmm. so it's like the more interested people with good ideas, the better. Porsche
0: has developed fuel for their internal combustion engines, that is completely clean and it has less environmental impact than electric cars do. How? Well, what's, what's the clean? I mean, I what do you mean? Zero idea. I just glanced huh. at this. I so that's read, like, read the first paragraph of this new fuel that they've developed. Huh. Here it is. Porsche is working on synthetic fuel to make uh, internal combustion cars as clean as EVs. It's a hydrogen-based fuel. Be ready to testing for testing in 2022, including. The new Porsche 911 GT3 Cup race car.
3: I'm pretty sure that so far... you know biofuels and things like that haven't really lived up to the hype yeah that's why they're doing blindness. this but and so yeah it is one of those things where you're like oh if it totally plays out and it works then like great let's like move forward with it as quickly as possible but you're kind of like ah, yeah, you know it seems like electricity is well, probably the better option overall
0: oh you know, for sure but in in porsche's defense they have been at the front lines of making cleaner of uh, uh, exhaust fumes to the point where the 911 turbo if it moves through, like uh, I saw this on Top Gear, they were saying that if it went through a polluted place, like whether it's uh, downtown L.A. or mm-hmm. Calcutta, is making whatever, the air cleaner? The air's cleaner coming out than it's it going in. That's yeah. interesting. That's awesome. It's pretty wild. Yeah,
3: <laughs> that, that's and cool.
0: Their ultimate goal is to de- develop internal combustion engine fuel that is just completely clean. Dude, so there's no impact.
3: It, speaking of this kind of thing. Uh, I did uh, Jay Leno's garage the other day. Ah. Like, I don't know if you ever ever like, yeah, met him it. or seen it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty classic. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, did you tour the garage and yeah. stuff? I'm like, yeah, it's totally insane.
0: He's got 11 like, of those garages, by the way.
3: Well, what do you mean?
0: He's got 11 buildings.
3: Uh, yeah, but they're all connected, right?
0: But he's got more of them. Like, hmm. I don't know if you've saw all of them. That guy has the most insane, yeah, insane car, car collection yeah, totally. I've ever seen <laughs> in totally. my life.
3: But yeah, it was well, yeah, definitely the most insane thing I've ever seen. Because like I don't, you know, I don't know any car collectors. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. This is insane. But uh, but the my takeaway from so the tour that we had from one of his uh, you know, his, his helpers basically gave us this pretty cool tour of, of of the garages and uh, he said it was something like 167 cars, 187 motorcycles, and it's like through all of human history. You know, it's like from yeah. 1890 type or like 1905. But my takeaway was that there were so many interesting false starts and sort of dead ends in technology where you have like a steam engine car and then and the, the ones that i keep thinking about are the 1950s like jet turbine cars yes. they were like cars with jets in them from the 50s yeah when like turbine engines were like a cool new thing for for aerospace and they're like let's do it in a car and you're like well that obviously didn't play out cuz i've never seen like a jet car <laughs> going by me on the highway but you know i think it's cool that that humans have explored so many different avenues like that. You know, it's like when you have a new technology, you kind of have to try every different version of it yeah. and like see what actually works.
0: You know, Henry Ford had made hemp f- uh, fenders and hemp-bodied hmm. cars hmm. in the early 1900s. It's kind of too bad that didn't take off. <laughs> Fucking yeah, and where you, he literally there's a demonstration where he's bouncing a hammer off of them because hmm. if you ever fucked with hemp, you ever like felt I'm
3: like the, eat it a little bit. Yeah, but, yeah,
0: the the wood itself is it's incredible. Where it's really light, like balsa wood, but it's really Mm. hard, like this table. Interesting. It's hard like oak, but really light. Huh. And um, when they they can make like hempcrete, like a concrete with uh, like ground up hemp that is supposed to be incredibly fire resistant, really has high insulation Mm. values, but for cars, like. I don't know why it didn't take off. Probably because of the the problems with marijuana illegalization back then. He needed a tax stamp to grow hemp in the 1930s because of the prohibition. But they developed this, and there's a cool video of him demonstrating the durability of these fenders. I think it's a Model T, and he's got a fucking hammer, and Mm. he's bouncing it off of this fender. See Mm. if you can find that because it's pretty wild to see, but that Mm. was... One of the false starts of innovation that just, for whatever reason, you know, totally never just didn't, kicked yeah. back up again. Until well, or, or, think of,
3: uh, or think of early electrics. You know, like the very first cars yeah. were split with electrics, but then mm-hmm. battery technology wasn't there and it just wasn't. Well, sure, like, and then there was imagine, a
0: documentary called Who Killed the Electric Well, cars. but that was like in the 90s, but I mean yeah. like 1905. Right. You know, like the right, original right. cars were... Mm-hmm.
3: Like, how interesting the world would be if it had gone all electric at the beginning instead right. of having a century of, of internal combustion engine cars. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, think of, like, urban air pollution and stuff if there had just never been internal combustion cars. Right. Not, not that I'm, like, condemning that because, obviously, you know, for tractors and, and all kinds of uses, you know. Diesel, Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are plenty of great things about internal combustion cars, and like, you know, I drive one, and, you know, it's, it's like mobility is important, but you're sort of like, it would be interesting if humanity had taken a fully different path down that road. Sure. You know, no, like, it is,
0: you know, I actually talked to Elon about Tesla's idea of broadcasting electricity through the sky. That was one of the things, oh, this is it? Okay. His hemp car from 1941. So, this was a car that, I guess it's not a Model T, like, what is that? Some other,
3: 1941
0: i mean some what i don't know what it is but look he's bouncing a fucking hammer off of this whatever this this thing is made out of look at this pretty crazy right also i'm like
3: how do you how have you seen this before and how do you remember it <laughs> me
0: oh i don't know man. also i mean that video only has weird. six
3: thousand views you're like that's that's weird
0: my memory is weird it's huh. good and terrible at the same time huh
3: Like, sometimes I forget like names. uh, It's like a junk drawer. You just have all (laughs) kinds of, like, interesting shit in there.
0: That's a good way to describe it. It's a perfect way to describe it, yeah. Yeah. But um, Elon was talking about um, Tesla's idea, Nikola Tesla's idea, Mm. of uh, Westinghouse put the kibosh on it, but he wanted to develop these towers to broadcast electricity the same way radio waves Hmm. were broadcast. Is that that possible? It is possible. But, he goes, it would have made electronics impossible. It would have ruined the idea of computing and all, all the other things that we developed through electronics. Because you have to think of back then, electricity was just the lights. Mm-hmm. You just basically had the lights on and you had like a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Like, if you even had a refrigerator
3: not, back then. Yeah, not, not no. yet.
0: So no. his idea would have been great, but if it had been just implemented, it would have completely stifled the concept of electronics and computers. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the, all that shit in the air would have just cooked everything.
3: Huh. Or computing would just be a totally different, yes. different thing.
0: Yeah, they would have to figure a new like, way
3: around it. Really, really fast abacuses. Yeah, you know, like little, <laughs> like you know, uh, steam tubes, like moving things yeah. up and down on the counter super fast.
0: It's really wild <laughs> how relative relatively fast things have moved. Because in our lifetime, we we recognize that things move fast, but they seem normal. Like, it seems normal to have an iPhone. Honestly, right?
3: it feels slow as it happens in your life, doesn't it? <laughs> So. It's like, oh, you does know, it, like doesn't it a little bit? I don't know. Um, the only thing that feels a little slow to me is virtual
0: reality because I've, I've yeah. I assumed that would be way ahead of. It's pretty cool right now, but I assumed it would be like impossible to detect by now. That it would be like you put this thing on, and you'd be like in this new world. Yeah, it's not quite there. It's not I'm, quite I'm there supposed yet. to
3: be shooting a VR climbing thing this year. Oh wow! And, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty psyched for it. I think it'll be cool. But uh, yeah. does
0: one exist currently? Not really.
3: So, the guy that I'm working uh, with it on uh, shot an Everest VR experience. So, like, he went to the summit of Mount Everest in VR, and it's these totally incredible episodes. And that's actually because I'd always felt like it wasn't that cool. And then he sent me the headset and, and his episodes, like the content that he'd made, and was like, watch this. And then I did it in my living room, and I was like, I was fully blown away, super immersive, which... Is, is pretty impressive in a way because, you know, I'm like a pretty discerning viewer of climbing content, you know, and I was still fully into it. I was like, this is this is crazy. And I've, like, read so many books about Everest and things in my life. But then to do the VR experience and actually feel like I'm there, I was like, this is this is incredible. Anyway, so I was like, I'm on board. Like, I'm totally going to do a project with him. Did it make you want to go to Everest? I mean, yeah, a little. I mean, really? I was like, oh, it's pretty cool. Isn't it funny that
0: even a guy like you – who uh, has done all these experiences, loves climbing, still looked the climbing ever. It's like, eh, fucking, what's that all about?
3: Well, it's like, I, w- I would be, I mean, I like climbing things. And, you know, if it's the tallest thing to climb, you're like, oh, that's cool. I'm just sort of turned off by the the crowd, you know, the, the popularity. The, like, it's just too too commercial, basically. You know what? I but, think
0: I lied to you. I don't think this has any bubbles in it. Oh no, Sorry.
3: No, it's fine. Drink it. Yeah, it's... It's all part of your plan. How do I not
0: know? That it doesn't have any bubbles in it.
3: Also, hadn't you just drank the other one? <laughs> yeah. You just didn't. I even just didn't
0: us. think I just assumed it had bubbles in it. Or maybe you're so desensitized I it was to bubbles. Carbonated. Yeah, I've just drink so much carbonated stuff. You just don't know the difference. I don't know. I don't think it's carbonated. It
2: sounded
0: carbonated when you opened it. Does it? That's true. It did have that
3: satisfying like
0: sh- Right. But if you like look at how it comes out, it doesn't come out like bubbles. See?
3: Uh, how's it looking? The how's it looking? The can. This is mildly
0: carbonated. Oh yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's that, bubbly as fuck. Bubbly. I know, but it doesn't taste carbonated. It doesn't look like juice. No, but that just means taste that your like... throat
3: is so desensitized to bubbles you can't tell the difference. Maybe you've been so drinking too mildly carbon.
0: You know what it is I drink Zevia a lot. You ever? You know? No, I don't know what that is. Anything with bubbles? I don't like bubbles. It's yeah. a soda that's sweetened with uh, stevia. Huh? It's great. Huh. It's really good for you. It's like it's, you know. I mean, it's not as good for you as water, yeah. It's like but this water is pretty, pretty good for close. me. It's pretty close, it's pretty close. You're yeah. in the neighborhood, Stevia's, you know, stevia. yeah, right?
3: yeah, of natural sweetener, yeah. Um, I don't know, yeah, I it's just
0: carbonated, just but, but very mildly.
2: <laughs> there's a rumor there's a new uh <clears throat> Apple headset coming out that's going to be lighter than an iPhone, really. Might make viewing these things easier, better. I don't know the word hmm. that it would be, but like more immersive, less cumbersome.
0: But isn't the issue really, uh, yeah, immersiveness is the issue, and and also programming. Like the real issue is like getting people to
3: develop these to experiences. make the content. Yeah,
0: to make the content. Which
3: right now I think is pretty hard. because yeah, I don't
0: think the the market like the market for something like Call of Duty is spectacular, right? Like so many people play those kind of games, mm-hmm. or Fortnite. I mean, th- these markets are immense, Yeah, but the markets for VR are relatively small comparatively.
3: But that's also because nobody has the headsets yet. I mean, that's mm-hmm. so chicken and the egg, because like, once there's great content, more people will get it, but, mm-hmm. but you know, which has to come first?
0: Well, we've had headsets for years, though. We've had. We had the HTC Vive three or four years ago. We have Oculus now.
3: Just
2: today, I just saw that Doom 3 is now available in VR on PlayStation. So, oh, like, dare they. Oh, dare they how fun do does that, that sound? Me. I mean, I bet that. it's
0: crazy. These motherfuckers. Right? Can you play multiplayer?
3: <laughs> you have a bunch uh, of people. There are games bumping you into can. each other. And, uh, uh. Well, you know what
0: you do. Um, you you get a unidirectional uni- treadmill. And it bolts. You. Have you seen how they do that? No. It's wild. Yeah, they um pull that up, Jamie vr with a unidirectional treadmill unidirectional treadmills essentially you have like a halo around your waist and it's got these cables that connect you to like these uh the circular post that goes around you and then on you uh, on the ground rather what you're standing on is uh this circular treadmill that's self-propelled like have you ever do you run at all
3: i I mean i have yeah
0: there's a a thing called air runner where you are it's it's like 15 percent harder in my old studio i had one It's fifteen percent harder than running on a treadmill because you're actually propelling the treadmill instead of keeping up with it. Excuse me, fifteen percent harder than regular running, not not just running on a running on a treadmill is a little bit easier than regular running. So this this uh, idea of these omnidirectional treadmills, these people are on these things and you're you're actually moving them. So Mm -hmm. as it's you see how that guy's running? Yeah, see how it works there? So you're running into this VR world
3: shooting things. I wonder if uh, gamers will be less into it if they actually feel worked after playing for an hour <laughs> sure. or two. Sure. You know what I mean? Because if you're actually running through all those games for like two hours, you'd be like, oh my god, I'm so pooped.
0: It really depends on if the juice is worth the squeeze. So if you have a game that is mm-hmm. as wild as Doom, right, especially the new Doom, what, what, what number is the new Doom?
2: Five. Four. they did, yeah. They stopped calling it numbers again
0: right who was the dude that we had on that was the doom guy that worked on doom and he showed us like the most immersive
2: hugo yes hugo martin
0: hugo martin came in here and whoo the the it's so wild it's so gory and crazy like you're pulling heads out of people and stuff and it's but if you are in if you get to a point where a game like that if you have an omnidirectional treadmill and you they you know comes with some sort of like a gun that feels like a gun that has some heft to it
3: Hmm. and you can actually shoot things but if it has heft to it then you get worked after an hour playing so it's like yeah but then you
0: get in shape like you know, how people play Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah, totally. Do you know a lot totally. of people yeah. lost a lot of weight playing that game?
3: Yeah, yeah. it's a,
0: it's famous for it. For people who are just gamers mm-hmm. who like would love to go to the you know the amusement park and or whatever it is or arcade and. Put money in and play mm. Dance Dance Revolution. They got obsessed with it and they, they lost like shitloads of weight because it's cardio. Yeah. Because you're doing this fucking I know. It's, I mean,
3: actually, uh, uh, my in laws have been playing VR games, uh, something called Beat Saber, I think, where basically oh, you're yeah. using like a lightsaber to like cut yes. blocks, but it's yes. kind of the same deal where it's like yes. quite, there's a lot of movement. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of movement. Yeah, it's totally. It's pretty classic to see my father in law like sweating while he's like, yes, chopping blocks and in, it's fun. in virtual reality. And <laughs> it's
0: it keeps totally you in shape. John yeah. Carmack, who is. He, speaking of Doom, he actually designed Doom, the original Doom for id Software. He uh, worked for Oculus when the mm. last time we saw him and came into the studio. That's what, He gave us an Oculus mm. and, and showed us he's an expert at this thing like he he's a martial artist too mm. and so he's like really got great hand-eye coordination and he he has his ramped up to expert level and so he's these these fucking things are coming yeah, out like it insane. he's moving around like this i'm like my god he's like it's actually quite a workout i'm like yeah i think so like it's like you're shadow boxing in the air against like five people that's what it looks like there's nothing they do too that's uh, speaking of shadow boxing they have these boxing games and that's one of those that dana white was uh advertising recently because not even advertising just saying that he did it so you put on the uh, oculus headset and you have these little uh hand things that you hold on to now you
3: need the headset to constrict so it feels like you're getting punched in the head over and over no, but again. You,
0: uh, uh, right <laughs> haptic sorry. feedback yeah, exactly. but you do get a flash of white like, when you get hit. Oh, interesting. When the, the glove hits you, you flash the light. So, it, looks so it actually
3: does Would kind of feel like it. Kind of, huh. without
0: the pain. Yeah, yeah. But the workout is intense because you're really throwing your hands like you're boxing someone. Huh.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, the VR thing, if, you know, we're supposed to be doing this year, it would be more like a film that you, you know, it's less like right. a game. And you're just, like, watching something in VR. So, you don't move but, at all. Um, well, you can move as much as you want, like, looking around. Right. You know. But um, but basically, you're you're sort of experiencing a climb from you know a bird's eye view, where you can either watch somebody climbing through the frame, or like look at the mountains and see the exposure and see the scenery, all that So, kind of will stuff. they
0: see your hands reach up and grab no, the so, rocks? No, no, no.
3: So it would, they would see me climb through the frame. Basically, they'd be oh. able to watch like an entire climb from a certain perspective.
0: Oh, okay. So like uh, the perspective of a drone. Like something hovering and watching? Yeah, though, it
3: can't be hovering because that's the thing, what you're talking about with software. Um, For VR, for like full 360 video, you can't really do it from, you kind of have to have it on a wall, I think. So it's Uh, like bolted in place to be more stable. Because I think the challenge of like watching things in VR is that um, people get really motion sick if if the whole frame of reference is moving non-stop mm-hmm. so ideally you have the filming sort of stationary and then interesting things happening around you so that you feel like you're stable when you're watching it but you can see other things happen around you you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. because like if you did pov and vr it would make you super motion sick because then when you're the viewer everything would be rushing all around you at all times you'd be like holy shit i feel like i'm gonna die you know but if we like d- a, lot, a lot of people get really motion sick in vr like my wife yes. is like full hard no like won't won't do vr <laughs> like, you know.
0: there's a company called sandbox and they have these warehouses set up and uh you do these vr experiences and they have this one that i'm obsessed with called deadwood mansion and uh i had a uh, third place in the world at one point in time in this uh zombie killing game it's fucking wild man you're in this Zombie experience Where you're in this haunted house And zombies come falling out of the ceiling They come running at you There's rats that run at you You have to shoot them It's wild shit But it gives you a a taste Of what it's going to be like Because this is You're actually moving around So you have Mm. a haptic feedback Mm -hmm. vest You have the, the, the headsets on And they give you plastic guns And then you're running around Shooting zombies And you bump into each other and shit Like my whole family does it
3: that's like, uh, this is like the new version of laser tag. It's like, why do yeah. you laser tag when you can actually like do crazy zombie killing missions? Yeah.
0: And it's pretty graphically intensive. Like hmm. when the zombies attack you, you see red, like when they scratch at you, you see like splatters in front of your face. <laughs> like the idea is that they're getting you and you feel huh. it in your chest cause you have a haptic feedback vest on.
3: I didn't realize the haptic feedback was like so far along and they're so developed. It's you know, not like, that it's good. It's not that cool, yet. It's good, you, but you feel like like you huh. you get zapped huh.
0: a little bit. It doesn't hurt, but you're recognizing that something's happening, and it just sort of accentuates the experience. Yeah, it's
3: all uh, like Ready Player One soon. Yeah, you know, that's, that. that's, that's coming. That's like the future of it all, that's for sure. That's
0: coming, man. That's coming, without a yeah. doubt. And then we're
3: fucked. Just, well, or, or then it'll like, that'll be the norm. And then the cool thing will be to do things in real life and yes. you know, be like, Oh shit, that I guy actual actually sex. climbs. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that guy touches real rock. Doesn't he that hurt his fingers? Real people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, the things that have like real physical limitations, like uh, you're actually under the, the the influence of real gravity as opposed mm. to just flying around. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm analog. I'm an analog guy, man. I'm not out there in your digital world. Yeah, it it's took coming.
3: Me, it took me a really long time to get a smartphone, and you know, I was like a total late adopter. And I'm like, I'll be, I'll probably be. Was late. David Blaine the guy who got you your first smartphone? No, not first. Uh, I think he got me my second. <laughs> I think I forget what the deal was, but I think I met him, and he was like. What is that? Because I pulled out some like ancient, you know, thing, and he was like, "WTF?" And he just like went to the Mac store and got me a phone. It was classic. <laughs> was, like, Why were
0: you carrying around a, a flip phone?
3: Well, no, I just uh, it may have even been a smartphone, but it was like really old. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. We were like having lunch, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this thing is like a piece of junk." And he was like, "I'm gonna fix that," and he just like fixed it. It was funny though <laughs> because in classic magician style, he didn't like make it appear. He just went to the Apple store and was like, "Ding," and then he made it appear. <laughs>
2: Did you
0: want that? I mean, it's not. Well, like- I was.
3: Well, like, we were, we were like doing errands around New York City, and it just, I don't know, it took him to like 20 minutes. Apparently, in, in, I don't know, there's some like VIP Apple thing. It was like weird. He just like walked in and it happened. I was like, crazy.
0: Really? There's a I VIP Apple thing?
3: Apparently. Well, it, or at least at the one store in downtown Manhattan or something.
0: Oh, maybe he's got like a, he like there. had a
3: guy or something. I have no idea. But, like you're not broke. Like,
0: is that something that you wanted but didn't well, this, this go ahead a, and buy? Or? It was like
3: a while back, and and I just, I, you know, I don't know. It's like I don't care. What do you, you should see my phone right now? Why? What, what kind of
0: phone do you have? I was like, oh, show go. me. Yeah,
3: what yeah. do you got? Everyone makes fun of it now, but it's a, uh, it's the uh, it's the original. Oh, it's the it's one. the it's the old SE. Yes. No, no, that's uh that's like uh the five or the six yes. or something. I think these are great. Well, the case is for mountain biking, but no, but, but the, the phone is just great. like. You know what's like, great?
0: It's so easy to text. Well, exactly, on that's the thing. Yeah. Is that
3: it's really easy to use one handed, yes. and the main thing for me is that it stays under my leg loop on a harness. Like it fits it's in your so pocket. So little. I know exactly. Like, look how little. Yeah, exactly. When you see the screen,
0: mm-hmm. it's so it's the screen is smaller than my thumb.
3: Well, I mean, there you go. See, that's crazy. Yeah, it's easy to use.
0: Oh yeah, super easy to use. But how's the battery on this thing? No,
3: it's it's fine. Yeah, it's like it's, I don't know. Actually, I I started. Um, it's been really suffering recently. But I think it's uh, – because I started using a Whoop because they also sponsor the podcast. Oh, and yeah. I think the Whoop kills the battery more because it's, like, for constantly sure. – Bluetooth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah. it's using Bluetooth all the time.
0: Also, that thing's ancient as fuck. <laughs> and Whoop is designed for, like,
3: new yeah, phones. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you... Whoop is designed for the Ferrari phones. And well, I've got the uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: you've yeah. got a, an Edsel. Yeah, you know, exactly. You, you should get um, one of the Minis. Have you seen I know. I've thought about mini? it. I've thought about yeah. it.
3: But then I'm like, it still works. Like, why bother? You well, know, you're one of those guys. Well, i just wait until it dies. You know But how much Waste not not, You know. Oh
0: look at you That's That's nice But they recycle those
3: Yeah I'll get there eventually I guess You could sell it to somebody Who's not into whoop Dude so classic story Two days Three days ago something I was climbing with a friend of mine In Red Rock We were doing this big solo link up Where we traversed like a bunch of peaks And we were both soloing by ourselves And um He'd been making fun of my phone all day He had like the brand new 12 Max Plus Mega Pro Or whatever it's called (laughs) You know it's like a small iPad Or whatever It's like this giant phone And like crazy camera Looks great Whatever And uh and we were down climbing this route, so like we were traversing. I've been working on this traverse of the whole Red Rock Range. Have you? You've been to Red Rock, right? I've like only Outside of Vegas,
0: I've only driven by it. I've never. Dude, you've never gone hiking there. in Red Rock. Never All your time in it.
3: Vegas, you've never hiked in the mountains no. there. No, no, dude, you gotta never. do it once. Dude, I'll do it. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah. Actually, Next when time you're, in you're Vegas, there, yeah, no, text me. Okay. I'll, I'll like take okay. you on a. Dude, pro- I could dude, take you on an adventure dude, in Red Rock. Take me on an
0: adventure, dude. The thing about uh, Vegas is usually when I'm there, I'm just there for the fights, and it's a. Usually a six to seven hour experience that I'm mm-hmm. commentating. One day was eight because we had 15 fights. Jeez. Yeah, But this past weekend, it's like six.
3: But they're in the evening, right? Go out in the morning, do a little nature thing. It'll keep you nice and relaxed I usually and, like, relaxed fly in in the
0: morning, especially mm-hmm. during COVID. And then I fly and I land at like one. The first fight's at four. That's how yeah, it usually okay. works. Well,
3: if time. you ever have time, hit me up and we'll do an adventure in red Next I time there's no uh,
0: COVID, I I'll I will fly yeah. in on Friday because I'll probably wind up doing a gig oh, out there. That's when cool. When COVID's when everybody's so yeah yeah, when it's chill yeah
3: yeah so anyway red rock all these peaks beautiful Mm -hmm. peaks i've been working on traverse of all the peaks like up and over each one type thing it's like a fun backyard project so i'm gonna um it's, it's quite challenging um just to like piece it's really complicated terrain with like crazy fluted sandstone towers and like how you get over one to the next and like how you connect them and so a friend was doing a little section of it with me just to like piece together some of the fun climbing and we were down climbing this classic route, so the two of us are both soloing, and we had like summited the peak via the other side, and we were coming down this like classic route that people normally climb. It's like a really famous climbing route, and there was this woman climbing up below us, and. My friend was like, oh, damn it. His phone just fell out of his pocket. His giant new 12 plus mega, whatever. It fell out. It bounced off the wall. And this woman caught it like 30 feet below him. She, really? She was like climbing. She had like just placed a piece of gear. You know, she has a rope and everything. It's all normal. And it just like bounced. And then she just snagged it out of the air. Wow. Saved his phone for him. And then as we down climbed, she just gave it right back to him. And then we just carried on. But so then, Belly's the whole, badass. I know it was it was really impressive. I would want
0: to be friends with
3: her. <laughs> totally, that's totally. like a person who comes through in the clutch, dude. It was it was very impressive. But you know, my takeaway was that it helps to have a phone that doesn't fall out of your freaking pocket because it's so big. You know, I was like, my yeah. phone's never just falling out. Well.
0: It seems like he's got a stupid case or just not handling his phone correctly. Well, I think his,
3: I think his pocket was just a little tight and then it's just a big phone, you know? Yeah, and so it's like easy to like put it in but it's not quite all the way in and then right. and then you know when you're down climbing obviously you're moving your legs a bunch and it just fell out.
0: I have the middle ground. I have the regular regular one. yeah. That's, uh, that's the regular that's the...
3: 12. Oh, this is yeah, but like look at look at yeah, the, it's you know, quite it's a like, bit bigger. Yeah, this guy could like live inside yours, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> the mini though is pretty close to yours. It's, uh, it's I, I, slightly I would, larger, I would, but it's all
3: screen. That's probably what I'll go to eventually. Yeah, but you know, may as well it, wait for this to die.
0: The, the main complaint about the mini is the battery life is horrible.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh sad.
0: But I mean, I'm sure it's better than yours. That's actually probably true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's that's
3: wh- funny. Is you're like it's horrible battery life. It's twice as good as what you have, but it's horrible. It probably
0: <laughs> is literally twice as good as what you have. I will see. Yeah.
3: I'm sort of, I mean, everything keeps working, and so I'm like, well, no, you know, why yeah. mess with something that works?
0: Yeah, I think the battery is like, I think you could use it full stop all day. Like, you could play four hours of video on it, hmm. and it'll eventually die, whereas these things are like eight hours or something. Really?
3: Yeah. Who's going to watch eight hours of video on Assholes. The phone? Assholes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> well, it's just like, that's that's a lot of time on your phone. People that
0: hate their job, and they pretend oh. they're working, and just watch YouTube all day. Yeah, I suppose real. if you're
3: working security or something, you're just, like, at a right. desk, and you just, yeah. like, have, you know, you have one earbud in. You're mm-hmm. just, like, listening to a show. It's <laughs> under the desk, and you're just, like, uh-huh, uh-huh, sign the form, uh-huh. Yep. You know? And you yeah. barely paid attention. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of that going on in this life. That's That makes me a little bit sad. I mean, I know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you're right, but you're also kind of like, that's too bad. It is. Well, especially coming from a guy like you that does exactly what he wants to
0: do with his life. You know, that's... That's where yeah. when you see people living unfulfilled lives.
3: It's kind of sad. So, you know, this morning at a hotel, I was uh, reading my book. You know, I was eating by myself and just like reading. And uh, the server came over to be like, What are you reading? It's so interesting to see someone reading a book, not on their phone. And I was like, Huh, that makes me slightly sad in a way, but also, you know, I was like, oh, I'm reading this book, Fate of Food. Like, someone could be reading a book on their phone, too. Does that I know. make her sad? No, I know. It's funny because I've thought about, I've tried to get into e-reading stuff like, you know, the Kindle or on the phone. And Mm. I've I've just, uh, it doesn't really take, you know, because I feel like there are so many other distractions right there. It's hard to really get immersed in your book Mm. when like, you know, with a double click of your thumb, something like more exciting pops up. You know what I mean? I get what you're
0: saying. With the phone, I get what you're saying. I like Kindles because they have that flat white surface where it really does look like paper i forget what the tech technology is yeah. called but it looks great yeah you can no
3: i i know store 100 i store a hundred books i know i know no it is it is definitely like it makes sense it's practical but i just find that i i read more with physical books yeah and so at a certain point you just have to use the medium that works for you and just go with it for sure it's like
0: the tactile feedback, exactly, is a thing. About. And,
3: and honestly, the sense of progress. They're like, oh, I'm working through this thing, and when I mm-hmm. finish it, I set it down. You know, right. like that kind of like. There's a satisfaction in like working through a thick mm-hmm. book that that a Kindle. I mean, in some ways, the Kindle feels like this insurmountable thing because it's like you have the whole complete works of Shakespeare on there, and you're like you literally could be clicking away at it for the rest of your life and never actually finish anything and you're like damn
0: that's true right you know, it's like right?
3: it's like infinity
0: whereas if like you're working way through a library cabinet yeah. like, or oh, a shelf yeah i mean it's kind of satisfying
3: yeah. to be like oh i finished this stack of books and also with books i like, give them to my friends afterward give them to other people you pass them around like mm-hmm. you know share the ideas but with the kindle it's like yeah you have the you know all of human knowledge on one tiny i mean eventually we will have probably all of human knowledge on like one little tiny tablet, you know, but it's just, it's almost like too much. It's overwhelming. Well, what's really scary
0: is that the technology that we're utilizing, whether it's with solid state drives or hard drives or what have you, if something happened, if there was like an immense solar flare and it killed the grid or it killed a large percentage of the population, we could conceivably lose most of human knowledge. Like, if you think about what we have written down versus what we have stored in our minds, the the disparity is astronomical, right? There's very little stored in our minds and Mm -hmm, so much mm -hmm. on hard drives that if something big happened, some huge reset, super volcano, that kind of shit, asteroid impact that kills 50% of the population.
3: Do you think think that's true right now?
0: Because I feel like most,
3: most things right now are still written down in physical form. I can see what you're saying, like, 20 or 30 years from now, you would expect that if digital devices were wiped out, that humanity would lose an immense amount of knowledge. But right now, I'm sort of like, oh, I feel like we're still sort of on the edge. where like, most things that are really important still get written down in physical form in some way. You sort don't think that's of,
0: true? no. I think most things are in digital form, particularly most yeah, things right. pertaining to digital forms.
3: Yeah, and business, like yeah. all things business are oh, in digital.
0: Yeah. How about the entire economy? yeah yeah and but i think the real thing would be all of the information that's that you know in regards to like how they constructed these solid state drives how they constructed these mm. motherboards what's in You'd you bet know, some of
3: that's written down you hope I don't <laughs> so, know, but
0: like you're not doing it and i'm not doing i don't know
3: but presumably whoever is doing it wrote down an instruction manual just in case
0: well jamie's more technologically astute than both of us Man, what, maybe what do you think
2: I, yes and no but <clears throat> if it's written down one person maybe wrote it. What language is it in? Is it legible? Do they write it in pencil? If it gets wet, does it like f- turn into pulp and now it's gone? If right. it get burnt, how many of you know?
0: these books are available and where are they stored?
2: Yeah, we still don't know what was lost in the Library of Alexandria. Right. What kind of things disappeared. We're never going to be able to figure back
3: out again. Mm-hmm. Where did those heads come from? They probably yeah. lost the instruction manuals for the pyramids. Well, they know?
0: did. Like mm. literally, the Library of Alexandria—that's where they believe they stored the historical works of how the pyramids were constructed. If because there's really no work anywhere that, that depict. There's some, I believe, there's some hieroglyphs that depict one or two methods of moving stone, but that's mm. it. But you know, when you get something like the Great Pyramid of Giza, that's two million three hundred thousand stones. They the way between I think two and eighty tons. Are the the the, the side I think I, mean, I think the smallest ones might be like a half a ton and the largest are like eighty tons in the king's chamber. There's some it's ma- a big and some rock. of them some of them they cut, they cut from a quarry that was hundreds of miles away. Mm-hmm. Like what did you do? Who who fucking mapped this out? How did you get it so That's- perfect? And we don't know.
3: We have to guess. Uh, armies of human labor. You know, not like a just that, because
0: you can get armies of human labor, and you're not going to get that kind of precision. Because if you're off even slightly when you get to the top of the 2,300,000 stones, you're going to be way off.
3: <laughs> so it's you, not... But well, then you end up with a balcony. You're like, <laughs> oh, that one sticks out a little bit. You're like, damn it. And you're like, no, no, it's a design feature. Well, it's not cool. only that,
0: it was it originally covered in smooth limestone. Like,
3: oh, yeah? Yeah. The, the, that, that eroded away?
0: Well, they stole it. The, huh. when they, they When they... Um, when they uh, built Cairo, they like, you know how the outside of the uh, pyramid is all jagged and yeah, like fucked steps. up? That's yeah. not what it was. I it know. was completely smooth. I don't know. Com- yeah, it was completely smooth. Yeah. And then, you know, people don't respect the past, especially people. Well, or that they're lived- like, look at
3: this giant pile of rock that we can use to build our home. They're like, perfect. Somebody already piled it here for us. It wasn't you a pile mean? of
0: rock at the time, though. It was a smooth surface.
3: Well, totally. But and- like, If it's not fulfilling a purpose, and you're like, right, better purpose would be building my home. You know, it's like you can see how that stuff gets gets pilfered. Well, there was also a
0: long history of robbing these tombs and Mm -hmm. robbing these sites, and and a lot of money. Especially when dealing with extreme poverty, and you can dig a hole in the ground and find a fucking golden sarcophagus (laughs) that's worth more money than your family will ever spend for the rest of your life. Dude, yeah. could you
3: imagine? You're out like digging an irrigation yeah. ditch in your field or something. You find a golden sarcophagus. You're like, oh. Well, some and of the stuff
0: like, that yeah. they found in Egypt, some of the most spectacular shit, they really did just find. You know, like um, the where they found uh, Tutankhamen, where his uh, site was, that some, uh, I think it was a kid that was carrying water. Noticed that there was like this weird sort of like curved e- or uh, sharp edge. And so he starts kicking it and moving it around. And then they realize, like, hey, this is a an actual stone that was carved and put into this position. And then they clear it out more. And next thing you know, they discover the tomb of King Tut.
3: And then that little kid's like, yeah. No, they probably killed yeah, that no, kid. I, Shut I, your mouth. You I don't know, know prob- shit. Yeah, I knows? mean, probably did, actually. Oh, well, probably. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: yeah, but that's that's the thing about the Library of Alexandria is that that could conceivably be, like all the information that we have
3: about bitcoin or about you know honestly if it goes it goes you know <laughs> you're like <laughs> you're like uh i feel like that might when we were talking about sort of societal like non-starters and interesting paths that technology goes mm-hmm. I'm like i kind of think that cryptocurrency is like maybe not going to be one of the winning paths but we'll see uh, well we'll I've, see long term but
0: i think it's growing in popularity I know but it's
3: incredibly energy intensive to do something It's like you're basically reinventing a system in a more energy-intensive way, which doesn't really make sense because, in general, most technologies get more and more efficient. But it's
0: decentralized. That's the the appeal of it's decentralized. decentralized.
3: But, but it uses way more material. You know what I mean? Like it basically uses because all the data processing, all the number crunching, like Mm. basically the amount of power and like infrastructure required to make it work is far more than than like currency. You know?
0: I don't know if that's true. Because I think, I it think all currency requires data crunching
3: now. Doesn't yeah. It doesn't require, not like crypto. Because, I mean, the whole thing about blockchain is you have a crazy. I mean, that's the whole thing. But
0: all banking, all cor- almost all currency. Right well, but now, banking, it's just though, would ones exist. And zeros but banking, and hard the whole,
3: like, financial sector would exist, whether it's, you know, on, on normal currencies or cryptocurrency. Because either way, like, banking and trading and all that kind of stuff would be happening in something. But I'm just talking about, like, printing money and distributing money versus like generating cryptocurrency. You
1: know. I
0: don't know because
3: yeah, I've heard estimates that that sounds right but you have to print
2: paper currency which means you got to use water. Right. There's a whole lot of yeah, it's almost double according to the thing I'm looking at right now it says uh the energy use of fiat versus crypto is like double what bitcoin is.
0: Yeah, that mm. would make sense to me. Interesting.
2: But, I wonder what
3: Yeah, I, I, electrical I, grid and you know, all like it's, it's a lot. Put mm. into it. Um, like per unit of currency or whatever yeah i don't know we'll see
0: but either way um if the power goes out and they can't figure out i mean all crypto's gone forever you know yeah the power goes out if hard drives stop working and i mean there's going to be people that remember how to build houses there's going (laughs) to be people that remember how to make it you mean there's Ways to build generators that work off of the flow of rivers. Like my friend, uh, Steve Rennell that I was talking about earlier, he has a cabin in Alaska, and the electricity is powered by water flow from mm-hmm. a river. You know, they would have one of those yeah. situations. Yeah, You can... I mean, that's all... People are going to remember how to do that kind of stuff, but when it comes so presumably to presumably the people
3: that wrote the algorithms for blockchain, you know, Bitcoin type stuff, some of them probably remember how to do that again too.
0: Some of them might not make it, and we're talking about half the population's dead.
3: Wait, are, are we doing zombie apocalypse? We're too? doing some sort of a natural. Disaster. I thought we were doing solar flare that wipes out electronics. Solar not, flare is going to kill a lot of people. Oh, you like think the big ones? Oh,
0: yeah, uh, something big <laughs> like some sort of uh, hypernova in a, oh, yeah, a cool, distant cool. galaxy.
3: How about we do two-thirds of the people uh, just to make it more edgy? That's scarier. And then a third come back as zombies.
0: Well, if we do two-thirds of the people, the problem is what third lives? The, really the ones that hardy were all in their bunkers. One. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that were all in their
3: like prepper hole. The ones that yeah. are
0: walking around barefoot developing thick calluses well, at the, the bottom of their feet. No, those
3: guys don't even notice anything happened. I mean <laughs> they were like, Oh, it's really bright for a day and right. whatever, and then they go back to like planting their cassava fields and they just like live their normal life. I'm
0: like, not talking about those guys. I'm talking uh, about the fake guys that are out there oh, like, oh, yeah. glamping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretending glamping. To be, yeah, totally. yeah. Preppers. Those guys, they'll probably not they probably won't make it, ironically.
3: People yeah. will come and pillage their prepper caches.
0: I just think that we do have a lot of our knowledge in these um, these digital forms. That if you know, we had to reinvent society again. Like, according to people that study history, and you know, we know that human beings have survived multiple uh, extinction events. There's been many times where, like, the humans have. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? Human beings got down to. I think it was uh, 7,000 people at one point in time after a super volcano in, um, hmm. uh, where was that?
3: But you're talking about like original human populations yeah. like, coming out of 60, Africa 000 people,
0: stuff. Six, oh, yeah, 60,000 okay. people, 60,000 years ago rather, somewhere in that range, huh. human beings got down to about 7,000 people. Um, I want to say it was New Guinea, somewhere like there. Huh. There was uh, some massive... Toba, Where is it?
2: Catastrophe. Was that, is that the one you're talking about, right? I think
0: so, yeah. What? How many years ago was that? Mm, Did you fi- put it up on the screen? 75,000 years ago? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, 75,000 years ago, people got down to like almost nothing. How human beings almost vanished from the earth 70,000 years ago. There you go. Though, Click though, on that.
3: Though it also is labeled the controversial catastrophes, which... Mm, it's NPR. Which, I chose well.
0: NPR. All, all of uh, 7 billion human beings on earth, ba, 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 ba. Um... Keep scrolling, keep scrolling Yeah. Super volcano, Toba Okay Um, 70,000 BC, a volcano called Toba, Sumatra That's where it is, in Indonesia Went off, uh, blowing roughly 650 miles of vaporized rock into the air It's the largest volcanic eruption that we know of Dwarfing everything else and uh, scroll down. So the idea is that it, human beings got down to, I think, in the neighborhood of seven to 10,000 people. So the
2: part on top, it says that the one study says it could have been as low as 40 reprodu- reproducing adults. Or breeding pairs, which means 80 people, I guess. But.
0: but either way, they know we got down to a very low number. And they know that this volcano, this super volcano eruption, did happen. And they also know that this is not uncommon. You know...
3: Well, it is kind of uncommon if it happens, you know, seventy thousand years ago.
0: No, but it's It's not when you think about four point six billion years of Earth.
3: Totally, but if but if you think of human history and certainly our lifespans, if it happens once every seventy five thousand years, you're like, oh, we're good,
0: we're good. Your kids are good, you know. Yes, your kids are good, probably. But your grandkids are probably good too. (laughs) Society, it's 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 entirely possible that society could get hit. Yeah, for sure. One of these things. For sure, Yellowstone. You know, but yeah. Yellowstone's crazy. Yeah, like they have thousands. Well, that's of Earth why you have uh,
3: that's why you have Elon on here talking about you know making humans multi uh, multi planetary.
0: Yeah, what do you think about that?
3: I'm I'm into it. You I'm climb I'm all rocks about. on Mars. I would totally go. You if if, if he'll send Mars? me, I'll go. Yeah, get get him <laughs> on here again. Tell him I'm willing to go.
0: How many years yeah. would you be willing to stay? It used to be that they thought you would have to stay there for the rest of your life. Now they they think they can get you back in a couple of years. I'd be willing to go
3: for the rest of my life. Later in my life. You know, like as a 70-year-old or something, I bet I would. I don't know. I'm into into exploration like that. You know, just like full, interesting new places. Yeah, yeah, but maybe you'd be like
0: Fred the dirtbag guy and you'd want to be climbing when you're 85 years old. Maybe,
3: but I think, you know, basically I think if I felt like there was something useful I could contribute by going to Mars, I would definitely go. Because I I do think that that is sort of the future of humanity, going to to different places. It'd be pretty wild. You'd be able to climb a little higher without earth gravity holding you back i know i know i need all the help i can get
0: especially at that age you know well, what do you think jamie <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe that's the move when you get older you go hey, to, you mars go to for low, climbing. low gravity blazers fucking easy yeah, yeah. It's but by the time we get people to mars they'll probably extend life lifespans yeah. pretty far we'll see they're doing some weird shit now um i read a study out of i think it was out of um i think it was jerusalem where they've done, um, they're, they're doing these uh, intensive hyperbaric studies where they take people and they put them in uh, hyperbaric chambers on a regular basis, you know, these uh, mm-hmm. rich oxygen environments. Yeah. And they found that they, you know, when, the way they determine biological age is the length of your telomeres. Mm-hmm. And they've determined that through this hyperbaric chamber uh, therapy they were able to reduce people's biological age by 20 years.
3: Hmm. Yeah. It's fucking wild. Did, I mean, but does that wind up having know. health
0: implications? I don't know. I don't huh. know. But uh, they're, they're I don't think they know. I yeah, totally. They're just like, whoa. That's yeah, interesting. Because this is a fairly recent study, and huh. it's a, a fairly new discovery. So they're huh. trying to figure this out. And Hyperbaric chambers they've used in the past, like I know fighters have used them for injuries. Hmm. Um, uh, I know that, uh, people that have broken bones, they found that it heals things quicker in Hmm. these uh, oxygen rich environments. And then some people have used them for, for those. But as far as like health and wellness, the use of them is, I think it's pretty recent that people started Hmm. using them just for elective health and wellness type situations where you're just trying to improve your health. Let's see if you find that study.
2: I'm look. I mean, I have the study, but it's just—it's literally the study. It's—I'm uh, mm-hmm. trying to dig through it to find the
0: hyperbaric oxygen therapy increases telomere length and decreases immuno. How do say that? Senescence. in isolated blood cells. Uh, pretty interesting shit. <laughs> but I think this—that's like, what I read
3: for fun at night. You know.
0: <laughs> I think this was from 2020. Yeah, there it is, September 3rd, 2020. Oh. And is—is is that the one from Israel?
3: I mean look yeah. at the names on it It certainly seems like it
0: <laughs> Yeah Tel Aviv Yeah Weird shit man You know
3: So yeah. you gotta imagine well, and, and, that I mean, and, and there are plenty of like Normal ways to extend life Like uh, you know Severely restricted uh, Calorie diets mm-hmm. You know like Basically Being fasted forever You know you can extend Rats lives by like Double or something Yeah isn't that
0: wild That but, the more food you eat The shorter your life yeah, is exactly I might be fucked Because I <laughs> eat like a
3: pig oh, well, It's really know. a real yeah. <laughs> issue better you know it's all balance it's like right i know there is you want to be
0: hungry and live longer or just full and happy
3: Hmm. yeah i mean arguably full and happy yeah certainly certainly you want a full and happy life yeah so it's like because that's the thing is if you're if you're in a restricted calorie state for your whole life i mean it means that you're lacking the energy to do Thing, you know, to like go running or like right. play in the mountains, like all the things that I care about, obviously, you couldn't do in that kind of restricted calories day, right? But, um, but I do kind of wonder sometimes, like, you know, if I was a painter or something and I was just sitting inside, like thinking up crazy ideas and like drawing or whatever, it's like might be worth, you know, only eating 600 calories a day and like living to 150, yeah, <laughs> or seeing if it works out that way.
0: Do you anticipate a time where climbing is no longer interesting to you and you want to pursue other things, or do you feel do you ever feel in any way that you are um, a prisoner to your earliest passion?
3: Cause- mm, that's that's interesting. No, because I still love it. I'm still coming up with the, like good idea, things that I think at least are good ideas. So I'm like, oh, that'd be cool and I'll do this thing and it'll be interesting. And I mean, and I am sort of following the natural progression of like, you know, doing the podcast. It's like now you're talking about it and you're sort of sharing. I'm supposed to be doing commentary for the Olympics. So it's actually not unlike your whole scene where it's like you talk about fighting and then you like talk to interesting people about, you know, mm. it's like. You know, as you wind up being sort of like a spokesperson for your sport in some way. And I'm like – and that, I'm great with that if it means that I still get to climb as much as I want. You That's really I
0: mean? cool that you're going to do commentary for the Olympics.
3: Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see because this year is unusual since uh, Japan doesn't really want foreigners to come. and um, So we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But, but Could in you theory, do it remotely? Yeah, yeah. Um, though that really takes a lot of the appeal out of doing commentary for right. the Olympics if I'm just yeah. watching a live stream and talking about it.
0: Well, what if you're what? in like one of those Buffalo Wild Wing screens – Big, giant, fucking 50-foot Is screen, it? watching it, like, sitting in... F- I mean, it might be okay. Yeah, yeah it, it's better Plugged than nothing, in. for sure.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I'm excited to participate in any because I think it's such an important moment for climbing. It's cool to just be be part of that.
0: Yeah. But, you know. you're, you're, like, you're a spokesperson for climate. You're not just a climber. Do you feel like added responsibility because of that or do you just welcome it because you love climbing so much?
3: Yeah, I just welcome. I just love climbing. And I mean, I think I am actually in a good position to be a bit of a spokesperson for it because I do kind of come from a different generation of climbers. I am more by nature I kind of prefer the adventurous side of climbing like I like the big, you know, sort of adventurous endeavors in the mountains which really speak back to sort of the history of climbing. You know, like those are, the, those are the the places that climbing came from. And so it is easy for me to talk about that kind of stuff. And yet I also, you know, try to train in a modern way and train in gyms. And, you know, I kind of know the the elite, you know, modern athletic side of climbing as well. So I don't know. You know, I'm happy to be able to talk about both, you know. Yeah.
0: One of the things that came up in uh, Free Solo and I guess just as a reality of later in your life is that you started getting
3: injured. mm. No, that was actually just bad luck in free solo. It's funny was because it really? yeah, because literally since the film, I've had zero injuries of any kind. And, that's uh, crazy. I'm pretty sure. And and actually in the and I think there's a line in the film where I'm like, oh, you know, I hadn't been injured in years, and then I got injured a couple times in a couple months, like after I started dating my now wife and stuff like that. But um, no, a lot of that's just total. That's yeah, just a fluke. Just you dumb know. luck. Yeah, it's just a fluke of times. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, and part of it is because since I've since I've lived in Vegas, um I see a dude uh for body work in town. Oh. Um actually I'll give him a shout Pat, my my buddy Pat, he's the man. He shout actually shout out he, to Pat. Yeah, he listened to your show a bunch, he sucked. Oh. Um but so he um but so Pat's like this incredible body worker, and uh I see him as regularly as I can when I'm in town and I really think that's actually helped quite a bit. It's like, you know, getting the oil change basically mm-hmm. whenever you can. It's like keeps the engine running well. Yeah. It's like yeah, so, I mean, I think that basically having a home, you know, eating well, getting body work done, all that kind of stuff, like good healthy lifestyle, like, I I don't think I've had any injuries. So, you like, live in a since... house now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I know, crazy.
0: What is that like?
3: Yeah. No, it's nice. It's comfortable. It there's a shower. There's a bathroom. You can, like, you want. Do you watch TV? You uh, we don't have a TV. Whoa, but... of course you don't have a TV. But we have a computer. I mean, watch stuff on the computer. Right. You but... don't have a TV. I've never owned a TV. But... Wow. I don't know. It just means uh, it makes me a little more strategic about my my digital media. You know what I mean? Like because mm-hmm. if I want to watch something, you know, I can download it and watch it. Right. But I only by choice, you know.
0: And it's only going to be that appealing because you're watching a little screen.
3: Yeah, I kind of like the little screen though because it sits right in front of you. The thing is, you need a big screen because it sits way across the room. But if you have your laptop on your lap, then you don't need a big screen.
0: It's a good point. And, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, those those uh, virtual reality things that the Samsung created that slide into like a pa- it's like a phone. Mm-hmm. Samsung had a VR situation. Well, that's the uh,
3: Google Cardboard. You know, they actually yes. they're literally a cardboard box that's designed for a smartphone. That's right. They did it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. that's right. Because yeah, they did there, theirs there for like a uh, real
3: simple thing, right? Yeah, theirs is for educational stuff, so that like school kids can just have a smartphone and then go to like world class aquariums and stuff like that and experience mm. like crazy, you know. Like go to the Great Barrier Reef or whatever, and
0: fry your retinas and kill yeah. your vision real quick because it's all like inches in front of your face. Yeah. So, do you do other stuff um, to supplement your climbing, like any other kind of working out or stretching or anything like that?
3: Yeah. Stretch. Like this morning, I did this like shoulder mobility stuff and like opposition stuff, sort of like you know push-up, handstandy type like shoulder stuff, mm-hmm. um, and then some core and then some stretching and just I mean it's all like basic normal stuff. Do you go to a trainer to teach you this stuff, or did you learn it from books? No, just – I mean, it's all – I mean, it's all basic bodyweight exercises, so it's like mm. – but, I mean, I have read some books about it. I've – you know, all of my friends are professional climbers. I've obviously talked to everybody about it. You sort of hear best practices. The shoulder mobility things that I was playing with today – Um, I actually just learned from uh, one of the other climbers on the jungle trip that that I was just on. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the climbers was a Venezuelan guy named Fuco that uh, trains basically the Venezuelan World Cup team. And so he had a bunch of sort of like new school training exercises and things. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So I started doing, you know, his workout technique. And this is just
0: something he developed for
3: himself? No, I'm sure he learned it from some book, but I just hadn't really seen it applied in that way. I mean, it's all just, I think it's totally stupid, but it's just like moving your arms in different ways and like shoulder mobility. But because my shoulders are not great at that kind of thing, it feels useful for me because that's like a personal weakness. I mean, so much of climbing is identifying your personal weaknesses and working on those because like what's good for some people isn't going to be useful. Like I don't do that much stretching and it's because I'm naturally like moderately flexible. And, you know, being extremely flexible doesn't help that much as a climber, but if you were extremely tight, it would be a hindrance, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I kind of fall in the middle ground where it's like, it's not really worth putting a lot of effort into because it's not going to give me that much more of a gain. Is it one of
0: those things where if someone was extremely flexible, would it be possible for them to reach areas like particularly with their legs?
3: Yeah. Yeah. If you can just easily do the full splits, I mean, it does open up all kinds of technique that, that a normal climber wouldn't be able to do, but you know, the thing is me being relatively tall and relatively flexible, I can get most of the way there without actually being able to do the splits. And it'd be like a lot of work for me to do the splits. So I'm kind of like, uh, it's. You, you think know. so? Yeah, I think so. Why? I don't know. Because I've stretched stretched a lot and I can't do the
0: splits. You know, so I'm like, I don't know. It's like. I bet you could. I, 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 I mean, can you do the splits? Yeah. You can do the splits? Yeah. I don't even have to warm up. I can do the splits. Look at that
3: lady. Yeah. So that exactly. Woo! That's the kind of thing. That's that, what I'm talking about. Yeah, on the other hand, though, I'd probably be able to use those same footholds because I'm taller, you know, because they're a a certain Mm, length apart. Right. Like, you know, really, if you're short, you kind of have to make up for it in a lot of ways like Mm. that. Like, you have to be able to stretch really far.
0: But I would imagine you being taller and also if you were as flexible as her.
3: Yeah, it would help. Yeah. It would help.
0: It's not that hard, man. I could help you with that.
3: Wait, when you're off, I want to see you yeah, split that Yeah, face. I could help you with that. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm interested. A picture, I'm interested.
0: Pull a picture, a picture on my Instagram of me with a straddle leaning all the way forward, like flattening my chest out on the ground with my legs out like this. Really? Yeah, I can do that. You're,
3: you're a supple man.
0: Yeah, well, so nice. I've been doing martial arts since I was a little kid, and I, I never stopped. Yeah, see, that's...
3: Wait, that's you? That's me. Dude, WTF.
0: Yeah, I could do all that shit still.
3: Wait, I am not Dude, the, is the one on the left no, of you? That's <laughs> no, that's not. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah okay. that <laughs> the is, one on the, that below. Is,
0: that is me, but that's an that's an easy <laughs> that's stretch. That is yeah. That's, yeah, that, that, that's I me from know, when I was like. Uh, that's you. Twenty
3: nine. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. How, how old are you now? Fifty three. Oh wow. Damn. Yeah. Twenty nine. Respect. Yeah. Just yeah. keep
0: going. The the thing is to just keep doing it. That's the thing. It's yeah, like with well, a lot of people, their life gets in the way. Totally. But uh, I don't ever allow that as a, an option. I don't ever allow like long periods of time where I don't work out, or long periods mm-hmm. of time where I don't stretch. But
3: well, so that's the thing with climbing is that I would never allow a long period without working out, like hand stuff or arm stuff. The mm-hmm. stretching is like so peripheral where you're like, yeah, it helps a little, but it's not required. And so I don't know. Actually, I just started stretching again because I'm I'm trying this project in in Vegas, like this thing I want to do and uh basically i like couldn't really get my foot onto this one foothold easily i mean i could get it up there but i had to kind of like lurch and you know sort Mm -hmm. of fall back sideways a little bit and i was like oh i need to like limber up a little bit yeah you know now that i have a purpose for it i'm like okay then it's like fun to start doing my stretching again have you ever tried hot yoga yeah i I hate it i hate (laughs) it it's like it's really popular in vegas i don't know if you've ever been in Mm -hmm. suburban vegas but like the whole it's like really big with suburban housewives and stuff and I'm, I theorize that people are into hot yoga because they sweat so much. They feel like they did something and they're like, Oh, I went to a workout class, but you're like, no, you just freaking stretch for an hour. I'd much rather just stretch on my living room floor.
0: I hear you know? what you're saying and I understand why you would think that, but it's very <laughs> difficult. It's not just you you're sweating because you're stretching. And you're not just stretching. You're definitely working out. It is really hard to do, especially if you do, like, I know Bikram's a douchebag, but his classes, the, 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 it's not even his. Hmm. The thing about that guy is, like, that sequence of postures has been around for thousands of years. It's yeah, not I've, I've never
3: done Bikram yoga. I've yeah. done, like, a conventional yoga class in an incredibly hot mm. room, and it's just kind of like flow, you know
0: yeah it depends on what you're doing how you're doing it and who's teaching it to you
3: i went i went with my wife and at the end there were too many people in the room and it was like too hot and then everyone sweat so much that it became like humid in a way that was like crazy like there was a cloud at the top and everyone was like about to die and i just remember the end of the class my wife just being just laying on the mat just like shallow breathing like trying to survive basically for the class to end you know i was like dude we're all just gonna die in here it's like way too hot you get accustomed to it though
0: you do yeah it's like 105 degrees and you do 90 minutes you get accustomed to it yeah i I remember the first time i did it i was like this is the craziest fucking thing i've ever done totally but then after a while i was doing it two three times a week
3: my my other bummer with that is that i normally do yoga like as part of the day and if you do the hot yoga like that you have to shower you have to go home you have to change it's like it's like its own thing that has to kind of stand alone because it's like an experience yeah you know
0: that's true and you you definitely you, need yeah. electrolytes after that too totally you can't
3: like do that and then go get your groceries on the way home and like run a bunch of errands because you're like a total it's like a no, disaster no,
0: no 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 i would always shower and even then i would go to the supermarket to grab some lunch and i'd be drenched <laughs> like <guy>. you just <laughs> keep sweating even though yeah. you're like dry off and every, you just start sweating again because your body's like what the fuck did you just do it's funny like
3: yeah. i yeah i uh i don't normally sweat that much in exercise like i'm not a big sweater and I was, I, the first times I did high yoga, I was like, oh, you know, I'm sure I'm not going to sweat that much. And you start the class and you're like, yeah, it's not that crazy, not that crazy. And then I was like, oh, I'm like sweating. It's like running down. And then pretty soon it's like dripping off my nose and like pooling. And I was like, I'm sweating like I've never sweat before. <laughs> I was like, this is fucking disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's like,
0: pretty radical. Like so when you doing this, there's a one when you're standing on one leg and you're extending your other leg backwards. And then you're leaning your body in a straight line. with your. I think it's like standing stick pose or something like that. I forget what it's called. but it's
3: dripping off my face <laughs> and dripping off my arms, but it's so gross because then the whole mat's so wet and then you're like slipping and sliding and you're just like, oh man,
0: it's a little gross, but the benefits are tangible you you, huh? you really develop a lot of strength and flexibility and stability of your joints. It's really good for your knees and yeah I mean really if if I back. saw that
3: it helped performance, mm-hmm. I you know I'd get on board because I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, you're gross for an hour you take a shower or yeah. whatever like if it's worth it, then I'm, I'm into it.
0: The, th- the key to yeah. learning how to stretch properly, though, is like little incremental pushes through pain and breathing exercises. Mm. So, like when you get, most people get to this where they're like, and they're like, and then they back off. But you got to learn how to, you got to learn how like to just ease slowly ease into it. And then you got to learn how to just deeper and then deep and then hold huh. it. And, and it just takes, it's just, you have to
3: be consistent too. It might be what I'm lacking in my stretching. Yeah. I stretch to like a point where I'm like, this is comfy and it's keeping me fine, but I, I hardly ever like push my you stretching. Have, it's you know?
0: painful. I did yeah. it today for 45 minutes. Oh yeah, jeez. Yeah, I do my workout and then I did 45 I minutes see the of stretching. All right, we're we're show we're we're you the about, I'm like, That's that's awesome. <laughs> you can saw me to do that.
3: Well, no, what? Well, yeah, but that's only when you're 29. You know. <laughs> no, the one
0: the bald one was not me. 29. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. That was like, like,
3: like two years ago.
0: Know, but, yeah, I, I can go. do it right now. Classic. Yeah. Classic. it's just a thing where you just keep doing it as mm-hmm. long as you keep doing it you maintain flexibility oh yeah that's me like a week ago <laughs> yeah crazy yeah you just gotta keep doing it the whole yeah, like
3: i don't i don't think i can do that you could you definitely well, yeah, yeah could. I, I certainly could build you up you might to not it, be able to do it right now yeah, but yeah you yeah, definitely exactly.
0: could but it's there's a real benefit to that because the more pliable your tissue is, the more range of motion you have. Mm -hmm. I think the more you can alleviate injury. And I I think it's one of the reasons it's gotta be one of the reasons why I can still do the kind of workouts that I do in terms Mm -hmm. of like martial arts stuff, because I didn't for a while I did uh, like jujitsu doesn't require the same kind of flexibility. And uh, for a while I wasn't even doing that. I was just lifting weights. And then I went from that to kickboxing again and i noticed i was pretty stiff i was like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like my movements weren't as fluid anymore and then i started stretching out again and got it all back Hmm. so it's just there's a range of motion that you just don't have if you're not stretching i'm like i feel like i should start stretching
3: my back and stuff i I always have like shoulder stuff
0: (laughs) right when people start talking about flexibility i I feel the same way instantly
3: like gosh yeah That's funny because I'm pretty much always sore from something like, you know, I I mean, I go climbing six days a week or something. So I'm always a little achy or sore. And especially right now with the stuff I'm working on in Vegas, I'm sort of alternating like leg day and arm day. Like Mm -hmm. basically like hard climbing, which is more in your arms. And then sort of adventures like mountain traverse. What I was talking about traversing all the mountains. That's like more in your legs because ultimately you're just going up and over all these mountains. And so... On any given day, I'm always kind of like, oh, my legs, my back, my feet, whatever, what or like my. That's why I'm
0: surprised that you've never you know. fucked around with CBD. It's no. really good for inflammation. Hmm. It's really good for sore muscles. And I, they, there's a bunch of topical stuff that. Honestly, see-
3: well, it's kind of new, and it's like good for everything. And I'm like, anything that's good for everything, I assume is like you know good for nothing. You know what yeah, what I,
0: mean? I know what you're saying. It's, a it's good. Like, it's good to be skeptical like that, but it really is good for inflammation. Huh yeah some um, people they find it uh good for a lot of different things like psychological things
3: even like anxiety. yeah I, i'm i'm so untroubled by that stuff that i'm just like whatever <laughs> you know <laughs> like,
0: I And mean, you're not you're so mellow yeah, like you're yeah. when you were talking about climbing like free soloing this the face of a fucking mountain it's it's mostly mellow i'm like yeah, that's what
3: hilarious is, what is mellow? Like, you know i know but that's well if it wasn't you, mellow you wouldn't want to do it you know if your like- state
0: of yeah. like mellowness in the face of insurmountable,
3: impossible heights. Dude, so 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 funny, random thing. So I did a podcast with the CEO of Whoop the other day. It's like because mm-hmm. they're the title sponsor for my podcast. So classic style, you're doing podcasts about podcasts or whatever. And um and we were talking about REM sleep because you know the Whoop like tracks your sleep stuff. Mm-hmm. And and it was a bit of a weird like personal i don't know i was like a like a moment of enlightenment almost but apparently i get significantly greater percentage of my sleep in rem sleep than than average um which and it's funny because every day the app says like your rem sleep is much higher percentage than than whatever like you must be making up for for you know mist or something but like, it's just always super high. And apparently that's the REM sleep is a stage of sleep that, that you know, sort of gives calmness and like, you know, mitigates anxiety and things like that. Oh. And I am sort of like, it is it is interesting if I'm like, maybe my whole thing in climbing just comes down to the fact that I'm a naturally really heavy REM sleeper, you know, and I just like, my mind is always kind of calm because I get like an extra, you know, 15% of my time in REM sleep every night. That's I'm sort wild. of like, yeah, right. it was one of those weird things because, you know, I've literally spent years with people doing interviews being like, what's the secret? What's the thing? Like, how do you do this, you know, totally insane seeming thing? I'm like, maybe I'll just sleep really well. And then I'm really relaxed as a <laughs> result. You know, it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It is interesting. It's like you're born for it. Yeah. Like, Well, I mean, yeah, designed... possibly. Or you never know chicken and the egg because maybe right. it goes the other way. Like maybe because yeah. I'm in such like high anxiety situations all the time that, but I don't think so. Cause it subjectively feels very chill. You know, mm-hmm. like everything I'm doing feels relaxed. And when
0: like, you go back, like what age did you start climbing?
3: Uh, 10. <laughs>
0: yeah. So you probably don't remember. before No, 10. no, I, don't. Mm-hmm.
3: I, I literally don't. And before that, I mean, I still love climbing on things. You know, I was like climbing the school buildings and trees yeah. and all that.
0: There's also, I think something that comes from, <clears throat> there's something that comes from, um, when you, uh, are accustomed to doing things that are physically taxing and you've done it since you were little, I think you have like more calmness and you're more mellow
3: period. Yeah, totally because you're just so accustomed. Anything you've done for 25 years is going to feel pretty relaxed when you do it.
0: Well, also I just think you're exerting a lot of energy. Like I think one of the things that stresses a lot of people out, I believe your body has certain requirements just from an evolutionary perspective – we our bodies were designed to run away from predators to to fend off enemies to do, do whatever we had to do to survive mm. in terms of like trekking and doing things and for most people they don't use their body like that at all and i think this extra energy manifests itself as anxiety totally. as depression as just like bad feelings cuz you're just like ugh, cuz your body's just not getting what totally. it deserves totally. what it needs or what it requires your body is constantly doing that so your body's gotten what it's required since you were 10 yeah. so you've c- sort of evolved like as That you, is that's yeah. an
3: interesting way to look at it. It is kind of true. I mean that I have been Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting like uh you know that fight or flight response like what you're describing the, mm-hmm. the like fleeing from predators I mean I think that is kind of a, a root of anxieties like modern life like things trigger fight or flight that shouldn't necessarily you right. know it's like stress at work and your boss or whatever and it like triggers yes. that same thing. Yes. But um yeah it is true that that in my life at least the things that trigger fight or flight are like legitimate life or death sorts of situations where it's like oh you, you know you are about to fall off a cliff or yeah. like oh you know like the storm is coming and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're like I'm about to get worked you know it's like right, right. like typically when I feel that kind of major anxiety it's like for a real reason and um, I mean, it is interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is it is appropriate that way. It's yeah, like totally the, it's makes like sense. it's like the correct outlet for that kind of stress.
0: It, it really does yeah. completely make sense as to and also most of the guys that I've met that do what you do, and I don't know if they've met anybody that does exactly what you do, but yeah. guys that climb a lot, mm-hmm. they're pretty chill.
3: Yeah, it's a pretty well, dude. I think part of that is because. You get worked by nature so often that then when you're in sort of normal life, everything feels pretty relaxed because you're kind of like, oh, I'm physically comfortable. I'm fed. I'm hydrated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, my body is fine. I'm not about to just get hammered by by nature, you know? Yeah. Like,
0: Yeah, that's my my philosophy about really difficult exercise. It's really important because it makes other things seem easy and the stresses Mm -hmm. of regular. I think we have just like a, a standard base level of stress. And when you artificially impose a higher base level electively, like whether it's through Mm -hmm. climbing or other kind of exercise, whatever you're doing, it makes
3: the rest of life seem easy, seem easy. Yeah. Dude, I had uh, earlier this year, there was a winter storm warning for Vegas. It does snow in Vegas sometimes in the mountains, especially like get, get snow. There's a winter storm warning for this like storm coming through and I'd climbed like 20 days in a row basically or something and i wanted to use the storm day to try to hike this one section of the traverse that i'm trying to do of all these peaks i figured i would like take advantage of a non-climbing day to do the one walking section to like figure out where the route goes and so i went out in this crazy storm and when i started it was like snowing a little and i was like ah, and crazy wind it's really cold and i was trying out these new like waterproof layers just to see how actually i wanted to try them out before the jungle to see if they'd be good jungle layers and um and so I go up into the mountain. Anyway, long story short, I get completely worked. It turns out visibility is nothing. I didn't know where I was going. I get lost in the mountains. It and it wound up being basically too difficult of terrain to travel through uh, in the snow, like uh, because I'd sort of taken it for granted. But in Red Rock and those mountains, you you walk on these like exposed sandstone slabs all the time. But when you cover them in like six inches of snow, it's like really kind of horrifying. You can't just like walk up the slabs anymore. It's like now a total tobogganing death trap where you're gonna like slide Whoa. down. You know, so I was like. Anyway, so I go up quite a ways. Eventually, I just had to give up and, like, turn around. But I'm now, you know, 2,500 feet, like, up this mountainside. And, and then I turn around. And then it, it all is way more socked in. I couldn't even see my tracks anymore because everything's like, filled in and visibility is nothing. And so I had, like, a Garmin watch on. So I kept, like, looking at the little track on my watch being, like, am I to the left or the right of the track that I came up? You know, like, no oh, wow. idea where I am. Full mountainside. Keep falling down. And, you know, there's, like – You were falling? Yeah, but, like, sliding over things or tripping on rocks. So it's really steep hillside with, like, and you're stepping through, you know, say, six or eight inches of fresh powder. But underneath, it's still, like, loose rocks and cactuses and things oh. like that. So, it's like, you know, the terrain is it's not like a snow base or something. Right. It's like you're just stepping through it and falling over. Anyway, so I fell into cactuses a bunch of times. And so, the thing is, I was totally hypothermic, completely wet, totally worked. And my hand had all these cactus thorns in it, and my other hand was too numb to like manipulate anything. So I wound up like biting the biggest thorns out, and then just left the rest of them because it's just I was just I just couldn't use my hands and just keep staggering down the mountain. Anyway, eventually I like made it back to the car, made it back to the house, and then I had my wife pull all the thorns out because I like I couldn't really use my hands. I was so worked, but I was wow. kind of like. But that was like my rest day adventure. You know what I mean? That's like, (laughs) I mean, it turned out being, it turned out being way more. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I was hoping that it was going to go better than that and it didn't really work out. But that is kind of the point that when you take on that elective love, you know, I was like, I had a goal that I wanted to piece together this section of a hike. It didn't work out that way. I wound up, you know, building a bunch of character instead. But, you know, you're just like, that's just a normal day out. You know, it's like when you're adventuring in the mountains, sometimes, sometimes those winter storm advisors actually happen, you know. (laughs) It's just easy living in the desert. You're like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then you're like, no, it was not fine. It was totally crunk. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. And that, that does speak to what we're saying. Like if you're doing
0: that kind of shit.
3: Yeah. And that's just like a normal day, you know, like that's not even like the crazy, like, Oh, I thought I was going to die. I was just like, I was just deeply uncomfortable and like sort of on edge for, you know, a while. Yeah. Yeah. When when I got home, my wife was like, "This is the most worked I've ever seen you." Like this is totally like like a like a wet dog that's been beaten too hard, you know. But I was like, "I need a hot shower. I need like towels. I need hot soup. I need you to get the tweezers out and <laughs> do some." Work but you probably
0: felt amazing once you were back home, right? And you did have a well,
3: hot shower, except for your hands. I think I was kind of worked for. I was. Just, I think I just lay down the rest of the day. Basically, I was like, "Oh, what have I done?" But
0: didn't you feel happy that you were home?
3: Well, yeah, no, totally. That's the yeah. whole thing with all these types of climate experiences. Is then you're just so glad. I mean, because we live in just like. Normal little suburban house, you know, but you're like, there's a bathroom with hot water. It's like, yeah. so great. I was <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it doesn't take much to feel very comfortable.
0: Do people in your neighborhood recognize you?
3: No, I mean, my neighbors, all three of my neighbors are uh, seven-year-old ladies that have lived in the neighborhood since it was first built in 89. Uh, it's pretty classic.
0: Oh, wow. That is classic.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Actually, so- one of them just had to move into a home, which is kind of sad, but. so um, oh, that sucks. So, yeah. Yeah, she had like a stroke or something. Oh. That sucks.
0: Death comes for all of us, my friend. Yeah, totally. The, um, the climbing community in Vegas, is is it a, a pretty robust community? Yeah.
3: Yeah, and, like, more professional climbers are sort of moving. I mean, it, it is the best four-season climbing in the country. It's, like, it's for sure the best climbing in the country. Wow. So um, so there's definitely a reason for climbers to live there. And I think the climbing scene in Vegas is actually even more robust than I know because I'm constantly at the cliff, and I meet someone, and I'm like, oh, where are you from? And they're like, we live here. And you're like, really? And that happens consistently that I meet people. You know, and we're just like out at the cliff climbing, and you're like, "You live in town? I've never seen you or heard of you before." And you're, you know, like you just live here too. So
0: it's so a, like, it's kind of a, that's the weird thing about Vegas. You wouldn't realize it, but it is very small in terms well, of the of outside I mean, area, like a small townish.
3: Oh, I don't know. Well, what do you mean? How many people live there? Like, two million people live in Vegas. In Vegas? I think
0: so. But you're in the outskirts, right? Well,
3: yeah, I live in suburbia, but it's like, no, I mean, it's all just Vegas. Oh, it is? Know? I mean, almost all the climbers live on the west side, because that's where the rock is. And that's where, like, Red Rock and all the cool limestone is. Mm-hmm. And so, most of the climbers live on one side of town. But still, I mean, it's just suburbia. You know, it's like, yeah, I think it's two million people living in the basin. It's like... It's a pretty big town yeah but I'd it's just see, like i within... think of
0: austin as being pretty small and austin is basically two million people too hmm. austin is a million in the city and then a million in the outside areas
3: interesting i wonder yeah i just wonder how it feels like i mean the other thing about vegas is there's literally nothing else around for hundreds of miles so it's like the people right. that live in vegas are the only people around whereas there are how far away is san antonio and stuff i forget an hour yeah okay so that's yeah. kind of the thing is that You know, or or certainly like L.A. especially, you're like, oh, well, L.A., you know, the city of downtown L.A. has a certain population, but there's so many people living within a two-hour drive that it's like, it's this crazy ball. you know? It blends...
0: Yeah. LA, there's no line between LA and Orange County and Orange County and San Diego. Yeah, it's all exactly. just mass.
3: Exactly. Just mass of it's massive human beings. It's sprawled into like a mega yeah. city that you're just like, oh, it's just too much.
0: It's so, so too. It, I didn't realize how much it was too much until I came here.
3: Dude. Or like your old studio in, uh, in the hills or what's it mm-hmm. called? In the valley, whatever, that was like north. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, that's like. Totally, you know, you're like it's LA, but it's actually like an hour drive away right. in crazy traffic with millions <laughs> more people, and you're like, Where the fuck is it? It's like, There's so, no end. Dude, yeah. actually, fun story. Uh, you know, last time I talked to you, I was in that studio and it was during the free solo tour and I had to leave because I was like going to the airport. And uh I was like super late because we always chat so freaking long. And uh and it was like, you know, an hour to LAX from there or something yeah. with traffic. And my driver canceled like basically the driver got there like saw that it was supposed to be going to LAX and just like bailed and drove away so then I had to wait for like another driver to come yeah you know, I was using Lyft and um then another driver gets there and I'm now like fully gonna miss my flight and uh I was like dude I'm gonna miss my flight if you can get me to LAX you know basically in time for my flight I'll, you'll get the tip of your life anyway the dude was like uh he was I was like either Bangladeshi or uh like I think he's Bangladeshi or something and basically he was like Indian driver and was he it was like it was like setting a fish loose in the sea he was like you want me to do what and then he basically just like drove <laughs> in the shoulder and did like anything he got me to LAX in like half an hour wow. it was totally incredible it felt like it felt like i was driving in bangalore or somewhere you know did it was like nervous though no i was like it, basically i was like if he feels safe i feel safe i was like <laughs> you do whatever you want it's like you take me I, I forget where he said he was from but it was um it was like indian subcontinent like yeah. and he just he just went old school like dude and fully like yeah yeah like driving on the sidewalk type like anything goes like I was thinking of it recently because you know I was just in this trip to the jungle and uh the driving in Georgetown like the capital of Guyana it really felt like that where it's kind of fish in the sea everyone's kind of doing their thing like all the stoplights are out so people just kind of like figure their way through the intersections nobody hits each other but it's all all feels kind of weird you know and I was remembering yeah driving from your studio in full like action movie like totally insane <laughs>
0: insane drive the craziest i've ever driven in is uh, I, I wasn't driving but i was being driven it was in mexico city mm. where they don't give a fuck about traffic lights it doesn't mean a goddamn thing people are running red lights left and right and i was like Dude, is this normal he's like my friend this is mexico city <laughs> yeah exactly exactly
3: anything goes anything it goes
0: just like the intersections were just at rush hour we had done the ufc weigh-ins and then we we're headed back to the hotel it was essentially rush mm. hour and the intersections were fully jammed up 100 percent of the time but it's and people a, but just it's like trying a, to make
3: their way through it no it's like two schools of fish going through each other yeah that's the thing is it's just full it like nobody efficient. hits. No, no, no. No, it It wasn't.
0: Yeah, it wasn't efficient at all. Sometimes it it is.
3: Sometimes it's amazing how everything just kind of like swarms through, and it all kind of works. And you're like, maybe in some
0: places, the Uh. the place I was at in Mexico City, that was not the case. (laughs) Oh yeah. And it was also weird too because the elevation was very high. I think it's like seven thousand feet above sea level. But the pollution was fucking insane. Like Hmm. we were flying into it. It was like there was a fire. Hmm. It was so. I I put it on my Instagram because it's so. It was so nasty. I was like, "This is great," and I had a headache the entire time I was there. Mm. And I was like, "Am I? Do I have a headache because of pollution <laughs> or altitude? Or altitude? Like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't
3: know. Huh? I've never, I've never flown in Mexico City. I have heard that it's like pretty, pretty insane, intense. Though.
0: Pretty intense. And this it was unfortunately for the f- people that were fighting. It was there was a it was a heavyweight title fight. So imagine being a giant person which you're already a hard time with cardio anyway, and then being at 7,000 feet above sea level and more cardio requirements, mm-hmm. and then pollution.
3: Dude, They're presumably they go early for that kind of thing and like spend some one time guy, getting used to it. I'm
0: glad you said that. One guy did, and he won, and one guy didn't, and he lost. And the guy who lost is known for having spectacular cardio. Interesting. And he wound up, you know. But did he lose because
3: he just got punched in the face too hard? No, he was—he got got tired, tired and he Uh never
0: gets tired. He he got there two weeks before, or the other guy was there months before.
3: Really? But two weeks you think would still be enough to sort of? No, they say two
0: weeks is that you're better off like two days than two weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, your your body doesn't really acclimate. Your body Uh your body really needs a lot of time to acclimate to seven thousand feet above sea level, Hmm. like months. And this first guy, the Fabrizio Verdum, he did it for months, but Cain Velasquez only did it for a couple of weeks. I think he had like 11 days, actually, hmm. Some, somewhere in that neighborhood of a couple of weeks. I don't remember exactly. But they're saying when you talk to actual experts, you're almost better off coming in right before the event hmm. than, you know, whereas you can get all the work and do the hard cardio leading up to that. And mm-hmm. then have the, you know, you're, you're going to be diminished because of the altitude. But at least your body yeah, has gone through the hard work. Yeah, you still will the have been on your own program. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, there's two schools of thought when it comes to high altitude training. Some, when, when it comes to fighting at least. Mm. some uh, the, the current school of thought is you should train at low altitude but sleep at high altitude. They used to think you should train at high altitude because when you mm-hmm. train at high. But now they think, no, because your workload is not
3: as great. Yeah, you can't work your muscles as right. hard.
0: So they they want you to train, you know, for the mm-hmm. couple hours that you're training, be that at low altitude, and then dr- so like a lot of guys will fighters will train down in the valley and then drive up to Big Bear in California mm. because because totally. you can make that trip in a day, yeah, in a couple of hours, and so they, they live and up wh- there and sleep. And up where there. do they fight though? Like they usually fight. In, well, it depends on where they're fighting. But even if they're fighting in Vegas, there's still a cardio benefit to sleeping at altitude. Huh. You know, and I mean, some, but
3: Vegas, though, is like 2,000 feet or like 1,500 or something. But it's so not it's like, about the
0: requirement of Vegas. It's uh, about having higher red blood cell count so you have, in general, greater cardio.
3: Oh, and is that, is that true, though? Yeah. Uh, yeah, huh. it is true. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's one of the reasons why a lot of people, uh, like big-time teams uh, come out of, like Denver has a really good big-time team. There's mm-hmm. a good team elevation, and uh, Trevor Whitmore's, uh, his, Whitman's his uh, team is up there, too. And uh, uh, Jackson Winklejohn, which is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is, I think, 5,000 feet. Hmm. Is, uh, the, quite a few camps where they they work at a, a higher altitude, and hmm. they, they seem to be pretty I'm successful. Actually, yeah,
3: I'll, be, I'll be doing that this week, because I'm supposed to be climbing uh, Mount Whitney this week, which is like 14.5. It's like, you know, the highest peak in, in the U.S. And uh, so I, I'll sleep in the van, like, at the highest point I can around Vegas, which is like 8,400 feet. Oh, wow. Kind of like yeah, it's like at least something you know like basically sleep at altitude a couple nights to acclimatize a little bit so mm-hmm. when you go mountain climbing you don't feel quite as bad
0: yeah um, yeah i think that's fine for climbing but i think for like a heavy endurance sport I well think no no if, either really be acclimated
3: well also if i was trying to set a record in climbing then i'd have to go live at like 10 12, feet exactly what you're describing right. but if i'm just trying to like get by then yeah you can you can just you know spend a night or two at eight and hope that you feel good enough
0: when you set out to do your podcast did you have a a format in mind did you have like did you see yourself doing it for a long period of time like how, how long did you think about it before you got into it
3: so my podcast is um with this uh, guy Fitz Cahal, from Duck, Tape Than Beer who like does this podcast called the Dirtbag Diaries. And so he's like a professional, like he's done this a long time. So he brought he brought all the technical expertise and like sent me the equipment and everything, sent me the mic. That's you know, convenient. And then, yeah, and taught me how to use it, which is super helpful. Um and, you know, explained how to do all the levels. And then his team is doing all the post production and editing and like dealing with everything. And he sort of approached me about the idea of of doing it as lead up to the Olympics we called the climbing gold and it's just like an it was going to be just a look at the competitors and kind of the state of of climbing as it goes into the Olympics and then when the Olympics got pushed we kind of found that we had the extra time to go a little bit deeper into real climbing like what are you know like what is bouldering like who does first ascents? like who puts the route up first like why does that matter you know and then in our first episode with this guy Peter Croft who's like a personal hero of mine is about vision and and sort of inspiration in climbing like why does one generation's vision end and another generation surpass it you know like basically you know why can the last generation of climbers not see past into what the next generation is going to do i mean it's just interesting because like peter was an incredibly talented climber and he kind of took free soloing to a certain level and i basically started at the level that he ended at and then took it to a different level but now i'm sort of like you know, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily at the very limit of my vision, but you know I'm close like doing LCAP cap and the film free soul, all that kind of stuff is like definitely represents like the edge of what I consider possible, but then already now I see sort of Olympic competitors who are just physically so much more gifted that in theory they'll have a totally different vision anyway, so those are the sorts of ideas that we've been exploring. It just seems like a good time for it, you know it's like and there's no. There's nothing like that in in climbing podcasting right now. I mean, there there are a handful of sort of long form interview podcasts, kind of like what you do in climbing, where um, they like chat with interesting climbers and tell long stories, but it's not edited down to be thematic. You know, it's not explaining the the sport in an in an approachable way.
0: So yours is more, it's more produced.
3: Yeah, it's much more produced. And, and that's the intention. And so the idea was always to have sort of a limited run, um, like 10 to 20 episodes leading up to the Olympics and sort of explaining the sport in a way that people can, can access.
0: And then once you've done that, do you, do you anticipate continuing
3: it for years or do you? No, the idea was just to do this one-off thing, but um, but I'm sure as you know, you just never know where it's going yeah. to go. Are you enjoying uh, it? Yeah, I've really been enjoying talking to the guests because uh, so many of them are personal heroes of mine, like people I've looked up to my whole life are like, oh, and then some of the stories, like I was telling you, the woman, Joanna Riosti, the first ascensionist in Vegas, like hearing her stories, I was like, this is crazy. So I find it like really personally inspiring, you know, like it excites me to go out and climb other things just because I'm like, wow, like I can't believe she was doing that in the 70s. Like it's so wild, you know, like keeps me, keeps me excited about it. That's awesome. But no. And what is it called again? Tell everybody. Uh, climbing Gold. Climbing Gold. Yeah. And it's available everywhere? Everywhere. Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your, uh, wherever you do podcasts.
0: Well, listen, man. Thanks for being on here again. I appreciate it. It's always fun to talk to you and no, sit down no. with you. We just did three hours, believe <laughs> it or not. We did we do? Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's already 4 o'clock. Is <laughs> yeah, it crazy? really? Yeah. That is crazy. It's crazy. That is crazy. Well, that's flies. the thing.
3: Uh, it's always the experience. It's the Joe Rogan experience. You never know where it's going to take you. Well, it's always
0: fun talking to you my friend. Thank yeah. you very much. No, Great thank to you. See you.
3: I want to see the split time. Yes, Just, okay, okay,
0: I'll show you right now. Bye everybody.
1: Bye.